Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on all forms of podcasting. That does not sound right. I meant... <laughs> sounds all right. <laughs> yeah, sounds all right. Uh, <laughs> iTunes slash Apple Podcast, Blueberry, Podbean, Podbay, Google Play. I'm still waiting for somebody with an Alexa to try the tune-in thing and be like, Alexa, play About to Review. <laughs> I think I did it right when I set it up. No idea. I, I got to be honest. A lot of those podcast formats sounded made up. <laughs> okay. See, you're not the only I, I one I don't think they are, that. but they uh, but you can also follow the podcast on all forms of social media at about to review Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go to the website about to review dot threadless dot com. Uh, you can buy a t-shirt or a sweater, bunch of other merchandise. If you go to about to review dot com, you can read full show notes and support the show by clicking the support tab. Donate a dollar on today's episode. Oh, also, before I do that, sheesh, <laughs> all over the place. Uh, shout out to the sponsor, Vexing Media, who does the audio editing, and Damien Randall from Ill-Mannered Media, who did the original theme song. There we go. On today's episode, I am... Got them all in there. I am joined by friend and fellow member of the Seattle Film Critics Society, Mr. Ian Dinsmore. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, Ian, is joined, <laughs> Ian is joining us from DrunkSunshine.com, mm-hmm. uh, which covers a bunch of movies, so... Uh, we're going to get into four movies on today's episode. Roman J. Israel Esquire, mm-hmm. New Denzel Washington movie, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, The Disaster Artist, and wrapping up the episode will be a <laughs> review for Justice League. It might wrap up this entire podcast, to be honest. <laughs> Just maybe. <laughs> Before we get into that, we have to drop uh, the amazing theme song. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Uh, so thank you again to Damien Randall, who created that original theme song. Mm-hmm. I continually get people hitting me up being like, I love the new theme song. So definitely check out Damien Randall at Damien Randall on social media and ill-mannered media. So as you heard, Ian is joining the show. And he is someone that we have been seeing. I say we, even though there are only two of us in the studio right now. The royal we. The royal yeah. we. Goes to all of the screenings. Because Seattle Film Critics Society, we like to come out strong we do. to these screenings. Uh, and I am glad to have him on because it has been uh, a while since we were like, hey, we should do this thing. And then it was like, no, really, we should put this on the calendar yeah. and do this thing. Yeah. That's the Seattle freeze, you know, in <laughs> us. Like, we should hang out. And then we just sort of look at each other and then disappear for a while. Right. So <laughs> but we finally made it happen. We did. Yeah. And, I, and I'm very glad that we did. Uh, so you have been doing... Movie reviews on Drunk Sunshine for like eight years. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that that's roughly the timeline. I mean, I, okay. b- b- before that, I was I, w- I, I was doing film reviews for uh, for Seattleite dot com. And then mm-hmm. I kind of moved it into my own uh, my own site and mm-hmm. um, 
have gone through a few uh, very ugly uh, versions of that site. I, I okay. feel like we're in the most beautiful version of the site at this point, um, a much more uh, mobile responsive version of it. Uh, but it, uh, it, it's been really fun to, to meet all the, all the critics and all the uh, movie lovers around the city mm-hmm. um, and actually kind of build this community together. For um, sure. Which uh, existed. Um, it just hadn't yeah. been formalized. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been really fun uh, to have the, the Film Critics Society kind of blossom over the last year, year and a half. Um, all these people existed. They, they have been writing reviews. They've been podcasting. Mm-hmm. They've been, uh, you know, on various different forms of media, um, giving their reviews of these films and, and to get everybody together and do something so fun like this has been, uh, a, a really exciting thing. And I think we're going to be able to, uh, uh, to start doing a lot of uh, really fun things together in the mm-hmm. community. So it's, it, you know, it, it we have a lot of really uh, ridiculous people that I that I love a great deal, and I'm I'm <laughs> super excited to uh, to be a you know a small part of it. So <laughs> absolutely, because yeah, you spent some time with like Indie Flicks, which is another local yep uh, company for a while. Yep, and uh, Indie Flicks is still around and and doing some great things and uh, uh, releasing. They were one of the first uh, independent film distributors to uh, to to release films on. Um, uh, on digital platforms, um, wow. and so working with uh, with the Netflixes and iTunes back in like 2008, 2009 was a very <laughs> weird, uh, mm-hmm. you know, time to be in that industry. Um, now it's much easier, especially when you would go to somebody and be like, "Hey, we have this show, we have this movie, we want to put right. online," and they're like, "Sorry, uh, online? Yeah, and you like, want to do this online? They're, they're like, they're like, please deliver us a giant hard drive in a giant." Ugh briefcase you know so like i used to deliver uh giant hard drive briefcases down to amazon uh at king street station Mm -hmm. uh for indie flicks so that was uh that was a really did you have um, the handcuff to your wrist and the case i mean it felt like that they were (laughs) really heavy you know it it it, it, no i mean no i didn't actually have to handcuff it Mm -hmm. a lot of these movies kind of sucked but um uh, but i mean people tried really hard so we wanted to get them out on their platform um but at the uh, at the very least, we um, we we were champions of kind of the little guy uh, mm-hmm. in that regard, and they still are. And I'm I'm really proud to have worked there and uh, love what they're doing still, and especially in the Seattle community. So because as I as I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast, I love championing the little guy. I will always view myself as a little guy in this industry because I constantly am around people who inspire me to do better, to do more things. So it is awesome. So having the amazing film community that we do in Seattle is phenomenal. But what I want to hear about is your first movie memory. All right. So, um, (laughs) no pressure. It better be good. uh, No, no, it (laughs) it is good. And well, it is good. (laughs) Right. Definitively. Dang it. We're going to get into it. But, uh, my first movie memory, and um, this is not a particularly good memory, is mm. when I was a kid, um, my parents, they were big movie lovers. They wanted us to see E.T. And okay. I'm the oldest. We're going to watch E.T. Mm-hmm. Damn it, Dad. Um, but we're going we're gonna, <laughs> to we're gonna sit down. We're going to watch this thing. Um, and, you know, they're, they're like, kids will love it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was terrified of E.T.'s eyes. Um, his Ooh. eyes, his glowing eyes mm-hmm. very early in the film, you know, it's almost what kind of absorbs those frames early in the film is yep. those big glowing eyes. And, uh, my earliest film memory is, you know, I was 
four or five years old. The movie had been out for several years, but they just figured I would like it. <laughs> I'm still terrified of those eyes. Um, and I remember sitting under the TV trays watching that movie on the big tube TV. It mm-hmm. wasn't even that big. Ooh, it did you felt, have one of the ones that had like massive. the... Well, it no. had like we had one that had the wood where it was like a table on top. Oh no, we got we had no wheels, we had no wood. I mean, this was just a massive tube TV that they nice. put probably on a piece of wood. I mean, probably <laughs> or yep. a couple cinder blocks. I don't know. <laughs> Classy as always. That much money, but um. <laughs> anyway, it was up high enough to scare me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, I, my, my earliest memory of that film is just seeing those eyes and mm-hmm. and being terrified and sitting under the TV or the TV tray, the dinner tray that, you know, that, that sits up that everybody's mm-hmm. eating around and just sitting, uh, like under my dad's legs, like kind of terrified seeing those eyes. And this movie is not a terrifying movie. No, <laughs> it's in fact a heartwarming, beautiful film. And I was so scared of those eyes. Um, and I don't know why I love Spielberg so much now. I should hate him for that. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, you should blame should him for resent your... him for <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, my fear of terrifying glowing eyes. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that is definitely my earliest and most vivid memory uh, of film. Awesome. <laughs> now, is that a movie with E.T.? Because it is another classic yeah, from, from our generation. Have you gone back to it? And what do you think of it? Oh, yeah. I've, <laughs> I've definitely gone back to it. It, it does kind of conjure up those memories i mean how could it not but Mm -hmm. uh uh and those aren't bad memories now they're kind of fun memories Mm -hmm. uh, to to reminisce about but yeah it's a it's a beautiful film it's a classic um it you know (laughs) it it has its spielbergian problems that all spielberg films have um but I think actually E.T. is one of the easier ones to excuse <laughs> Interesting. The, those problems, okay. at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, there there are other more problematic Spielberg films, but um, in in <laughs> many more. Um, but in his kind of oeuvre, that, that's one that um, requires less uh, kind of uh critical 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 precision i would Mm -hmm. i i would argue (laughs) okay no that definitely makes sense et is one of those films where i have talked about it on previous episodes where does that nostalgia filter where you watch something when you are a kid and you love it for whatever reasons you watch it later in life sometimes it does not always give you those same feelings et was a movie and yeah i make a crap for this online (laughs) I was never a big E.T. fan. You, uh, you monster. As, as E.T. puts on his headphones yeah. and walks out. Um, as the kid who was terrified of E.T. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was something where I think I liked it as a kid, yeah. but it was never one of the movies where I was like, oh, E.T., I love this film. And I saw it as an adult, and I was like, all right, this is a solid movie, but it never had those mm-hmm. deep connections with me. Did, did you have an... 80 Spielberg connection was it was it the Indiana Joneses of the world like the the first Indiana Jones movie that I remember like when it was actually coming out Mm -hmm. was Temple of Doom yeah so with that (laughs) maybe not yeah so I mean (laughs) it was I got into those movies a little bit yeah later and so then I fell in love with like those movies except for Temple of Doom it has a lot of problems yeah Uh, it is the most different uh no the so fourth one. Kind of excuse it as well. Crystal Skull. There Maybe is not. No, there I, is won't, no... I won't excuse that. <laughs> okay, thank you. But those <laughs> movies, that was what... I watch those today. You 
you hear that music, yeah, immediately it hits me in the heartstrings. Yep. E.T. just never had that uh, because I never developed those memories from an early sure. period. Yeah. But, but yeah, it definitely is is one of those that I constantly craft for, similar to the Goonies, which I maintain, and you may or may not be kicked off for this podcast, depending on <laughs> what you say next. I'm not going to say anything. The Goonies sucks. I'm not a Goonies fan <laughs> at all. All right, you suck. Ugh. Am I hosting this now? <laughs> this has been the Ian Dinsmore takeover. Do I live here now? I think I do. Uh, but yeah, so that will be all before different episode. But yeah, that, that first movie memory I always find interesting because especially as not even film critics, which we are, yes, as film fans, I always want to know kind of where that started. Yeah. So with E.T., those glowing eyes, I like that that was what kind of kicked it off. And you ended up going to journalism school <laughs> as an adult. Mm-hmm. From journalism school, you transitioned after you graduated and you went to the Seattle Film Institute. Mm-hmm. What was that like when you were like, all right, I went to journalism school. What drew you kind of back into or towards the realm of film? Yeah, well, I always really uh, love film in college and okay. I, I love to write as well. So um, journalism was a natural fit at, at Washington State. I mean, they have... Go Cougs? Uh, yeah, go Cougs. Um, <laughs> they, have a, uh, they have an amazing... Uh, journalism school um, and broadcast uh, journalism school mm. as well. So it was really uh, like a, a no brainer for me to go there um, nice. and, and write. Um, and I still love to do that. Uh, but I minored in film there and I kept okay. my kind of passion for film from, from high school where I kind of, you know, I developed it earlier than that, but that's where I really fostered that love. Uh, and so from there, I, I really wanted to, uh, to kind of, understand what the production side of that felt like so mm-hmm. i uh i went to uh seattle film institute and they at, at the time they had a 40-week intensive uh course that you Damn. can take and now, <laughs> now they they offer bas which is awesome yeah. <laughs> um they didn't back then mm-hmm. which sucks now but uh, no uh, <laughs> right no but, but you it, you are a graduate yeah of the exactly, seattle film exactly. Institute. it was you still great still um that. so we uh we we took screenwriting classes we shot awesome. on uh eight millimeter uh 16 millimeter um uh, digital uh, and wow. 35 millimeter. It was really, really fun to, so to they, shoot at, on all those. At that point, platforms. they were not like, "Hey, kids, how about this 70 millimeter?" No, no. We, I mean, we we got to learn how to splice film. We got to learn how to awesome. uh, uh, how to edit digitally as well. Like, mm-hmm. it, it was a really, really fun process, and we got to meet a bunch of other film nerds who had, uh, you know, various you know, discerning tastes, <laughs> right. which was, which was really fun, you know, like mm-hmm. s- some I loved, some I hated, and, but I tried it all, you know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was like a really fun, weird film buffet for, for 40 weeks. Um, that is awesome. and that's what led me into indie flicks and ultimately into my marketing career, which was, which was really kind of a fun and, you know, intense way to, to dive into, you know, adult life, I suppose. <laughs> but, right. um, but, uh, uh, that's what kind of drew me toward it. Um, and we got to make a lot of weird, interesting student films, um, mm-hmm. some that we would definitely laugh at if I could remember where they were in my Please garage. Please put those on um, Vimeo. Uh, Please. <laughs> not just mine. I mean, there was other nerds too. Right. It was just, it was a really wonderful like group of people and a really collaborative group of people. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what made it so fun to, to, uh, 
to work in these mediums and to Absolutely. kind of understand how to <laughs> how to splice it together and how to uh, how to make you know very rudimentary but fun movies. <laughs> so you you sat there in the room with a razor blade and some film and did yep. some physical cutting. Yeah, we did. Awesome. We did, and I feel like that was just almost like nostalgia class. <laughs> oh, for we, sure. We definitely didn't have to do that. We no. could just plug these 16-millimeter <laughs> um, cameras right into the, the mm-hmm. digital ed- editing software, but we didn't have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they, they gave us kind of the the old and the new versions of those kind of editing suites, which was really fun, actually. Well, that was like yeah. when I... When I so I spent some time in photography mm-hmm. and worked for some you know organizations. When I first started photography, if you had Photoshop, it was twelve hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and you needed a machine. It's not that much cost... less now, to be honest. Well, true. <laughs> well, the good thing is, uh, shout out to Adobe. Yeah, the Creative Cloud is at least a way for people to be like, okay, I only need. It's like twenty bucks a month. Exactly. I only you need can't see my bridge. air quotes. <laughs> I, only, I need bridge and Photoshop. Yeah, that is exactly. it. So you can do that kind of a la carte stuff. Sure. But back in the day, not only was the program insanely expensive, your computer, man, I had computers that just wanted to give up on life <laughs> right. when I tried to run Photoshop. So at least back, like when you were at Seattle Film Institute, having the ability to do the physical cutting of film, which again is something that people do not really understand that process. And I kind of wish they did. I should link to some YouTube channels of just like how intensive that process is. So the fact that you got to do that and the new stuff is awesome. Yeah. We weren't good at either of them, but it was <laughs> right. fun to do. We were students, yeah, exactly. you know. <laughs> so it, it made sense. It was very crude cutting and stuff, but it was still, it was very fun. And now was it during that or right after that that you competed in the 48-hour film project. It it was during that. And uh, that was just a really fun uh, kind of, I won't won't even say diversion, just a challenge Mm -hmm. to do. Absolutely. Um, And it was a perfect time to do it because we had access to all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We had access to editing suites. We had access to cameras. We had access to actors. We had access to people who wanted to write and everything like that. So it actually as challenging as it was, was very fun and very, mm-hmm. um, um, and very easy to get a crew together that was <laughs> yeah. not, it wasn't easy to do. Mm-hmm. It was just easy to get a group of people together that would try. Um, nobody ever won. Nobody, there was a lot of very talented people. Throughout. Any audience participation trophies? Uh, uh no. Um, okay. <laughs> no, n- not particularly. Um, we were probably too ambitious for our own good, but regardless, mm. we, we had, uh, we had an absolute blast trying. Um, and, and in many ways, that's what the 48 hour film contest is about. Um, Absolutely. Is where does the passion lie and how hard will these people work and drive themselves and how delirious will they look when they get in there to watch (laughs) everybody's films and that's one of the funniest parts is seeing everybody kind of saunter in and and how easily it uh or how easily you could pick out the uh people who actually participated versus the people who uh who are there to support them (laughs) oh yeah it's people who it looks like people who have been building a house for 48 hours versus people who slept uh, in a nice hotel for mm-hmm. 48 hours. Like, wow, it, look at all of these it's things. It's the weirdest, 
group of people ever <laughs> theater in the best way possible no, because no, of course yeah, yeah whenever i go to these and i mean i have covered a ton of these i have seen hundreds of these six minute slash seven minute short films as part of the 40 hour 48 hour festivals that i have covered and you are absolutely right oh yeah you go to these screenings seattle the film community comes out strong and so these are always well attended they always sell out and so, but you can definitely sit there and you have the fans of film be like, oh, that was really cute. You know, I liked this and this. That was great storytelling. Yeah. And the filmmakers were just like, man, I wish we could have cut this. And I wish, it, you know, <laughs> they're just dead to the world because they're finally They haven't slept it. in three days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, two and a half, I guess, but still, right. you know, when it comes down to it. So, yeah, I yeah. always respect people who have competed in a 48 because, man, that is a, a ton of work. Oh, it's so much work, but it's. I wouldn't even say it's rewarding. It it, it is if you win, I guess. But it's, right. it's really it's really fun. It, it's character rewarding. building. Yeah, it's character building. It's the classic like you know dad telling the kid uh, type of atmosphere. You know, <laughs> you will be better after you do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if I was or if I believe dad after that. <laughs> <Right>. But <laughs> dad, as in the film industry. Yeah, exactly. Dad was full of it there, but. Um, it's still it's it's so fun i if you're really passionate about it i really recommend that you try you know for sure and that is the thing is worst case scenario you pay the money which again the submissions for the seattle 48 are relatively low Mm -hmm. compared to a lot of film festivals pay the submission you get your category you get your three required elements you shoot a film you turn it in even if it does not qualify for awards if you forget uh the clothespin as in the horror challenge that we just recently did, even if you forget an element, it will still screen. People will see your film. That in and of itself, go out and do it. Like, why not? So I, I encourage everybody to, if you're interested in film at all, if you and if you live in a major city in the U.S., they have a 48-hour film project. It is global. Go out, try it if you have an interest in it. Uh, I still have two ideas for my own 48-hour film uh, that I might do and, at some point. And? I might do it. I might do it. I cannot spoil anything. All right. Um, but yeah, you, you might very well see uh, an about-to-review production <laughs> film. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Right. one of these. Uh, awesome. Well, cool. That was the getting to know you, Ian Dinsmore version. Wow, that was, that was good. That was good. Uh, and we're it's a going, long one. <laughs> we're going to dive <laughs> right into the films because there are four of them to talk about two of which ian has seen two of which he has not <laughs> yeah i get to be a passive observer yeah of you just speaking about these yeah. great this should be fun uh so the first movie on the docket is roman j israel esquire uh this is one of the movies that dental washington is putting out there that we saw pretty early here in the mm-hmm. seattle market uh that we were fortunate to see early. It is coming out this weekend as you're listening to this. Because it is Denzel Washington, it is going to get a lot of attention. The synopsis for this film, and this is off of IMDb because I love seeing these and seeing how they actually relate to the movie. <laughs> we talked about this earlier. <laughs> Absolutely. And I have talked about it on air before where it is like sometimes it works, sometimes it does not. Yeah. So this is the description. Denzel Washington stars as Roman Israel, a driven idealistic defense attorney who, through a tumultuous series of events, 
finds himself in a crisis that leads to extreme action. <laughs> that is one of the most accurate IMDb really? quotes, or not quotes, uh, descriptions yeah. in a long time. Wow, okay. This movie basically, it starts off and you see Denzel Washington as this kind of eccentric, uh, possibly on the spectrum mm-hmm. uh, attorney. He has some old school, like, Walkman-style headphones. Yeah. And at first, I'm like, what year is this movie taking place? <laughs> Why does he have these headphones that went out of style in 1993? Are so, they over the ear? Oh, or, yeah. Okay. Over the, not yeah. only over the ear, but they're the thin wire oh, band. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like the straight-up Walkman uh-huh. 1988 style. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. With the orange puff <laughs> thing. So I was like, I was like, okay, is this a period piece? Who knows? As you get into it, within the first few minutes, uh, his legal partner, who he has worked for for decades, falls very ill. We never Mm -hmm. see this guy, Mm -hmm. uh, except we see him in the hospital. Falls very ill, and then starts to like, okay, what is going to happen to Roman? Because he is a defense attorney, but he does all the the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, He does the research. He has a brilliant, nearly photogenic, photogenic, (laughs) photographic Mm -hmm. memory. He is photogenic. He is. Well, I mean, it sounds like Washington. Come on <laughs> well, now. Yeah. Uh, so he remembers every case detail. He has memorized books of law. But if you get him in a courtroom, it does not work out so well. Mm-hmm. So he basically was the behind-the-scenes guy for the head of the law firm who then tried the cases. That guy falls ill. And that's not a spoiler alert because it is in the first five minutes. <laughs> that guy dies. Yep. And then Roman is left to kind of figure out what is his life. Anybody who has worked in a job for a long period of time, especially in a small office. Yeah. If one person leaves and that is the head of the company, for whatever reason. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah. Everybody else starts to be like, uh, <laughs> what, do we have jobs? So after that, we get introduced to uh, Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. I had to look that up for a second because I was blanking. Colin Farrell. I had no idea Colin Farrell was in this. Yeah, which... After seeing him in Killing of a Sacred Deer, I just assumed he would like take like six years off after I, making it through the production of that movie. I have only heard amazing things about that, but amazing as in polarizing <laughs> yeah. and shocking. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so this one he definitely did before. Like his filming time for Roman J. Israel, maybe two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. Which and that is not a knock on it. That just sometimes movies take much less. Oh sure. Yeah. Production time. And the beard that he has in Killing of a Sacred Deer, that looks real. Oh, it's real. So that took a long time to grow. Oh, that's real. Yeah. So exactly. Colin Farrell's character basically gets introduced as the person that the former head of the law firm trusted. Mm-hmm. So in his, in the event of his death or disability, this young attorney, Colin Farrell, for this big time law firm would take over. The two of them, Denzel Washington and Colin Farrell, obviously do not hit it off because Denzel Washington is like, I worked here for decades. Who are you and why are you taking over? Of course, Denzel knows every case Mm -hmm. that Colin has ever (laughs) tried and recites it verbatim. So it goes from there where Denzel is trying to find his place. Colin offers him a job at this big time law firm. Whereas that is not really Denzel or his character Roman. That is not a strong suit. Yeah. He needs to be behind the scenes prepping the cases to then go to trial. 
And this is directed by uh, Dan. Was it Dan? Uh, yeah, Dan Gilroy, who did Nightcrawler. Yep. A couple years ago with Jake Gyllenhaal, who was no- like he was nominated for an Oscar uh-huh. for best original screenplay. He wrote and directed Nightcrawler. Everybody in the Seattle market who got a chance to see this early was big on this because they were like, "We loved Nightcrawler." Of course. What is this going to be, and how, where are those Nightcrawler twists going to be? And he's a great writer. Yep. So there were a couple times in this film where we were waiting, and there were only a few of us in this press screening. <laughs> um, we were waiting for that Nightcrawler-esque mm-hmm. twist, where in Nightcrawler, it was building, building, building. It would hit a crazy point, and you're like, okay, this is what the movie is. And then it would go up from there. And then it reached another point, and you're like, this is intense. Yep. This is emotional. Twice in this movie, in Roman J. Israel, it had the chance to do that, and I was waiting for it, and those moments were happening, and then it just kind of plateaued, Mm -hmm. and it just kind of stayed consistent without giving that edge, without giving that kind of biting twist that Nightcrawler had. So with Roman, everyone is good in this. Mm -hmm. Denzel Washington is, is Denzel Washington. It is hard to find a bad performance. Yeah, the movies, some of the movies he has done have not been great. Yeah. He has done the Washington. So he is good, and there's a reason that this is getting a big Oscar push. But I am not sure why, other than just a name. So, and so, that so, name being so tell me this. Does he, does, he, does he carry the film like he does in something like Flight, which is another mm. movie that I would argue is not particularly good um or it, it has it's <laughs> i almost said flights of fancy that would have been ah! a terrible way to do it <laughs> no that but, would have uh, been awesome this is a I team did, i almost said it and then i said it <laughs> this um, is a team dad joke yeah, uh podcast yeah, safe this zone is, this is gonna be a, <laughs> this is gonna be a rough uh last hour but yeah. um so is it like flight where he is carrying a kind of subpar project at least in my opinion or is is uh <laughs> is this I don't know is this an American gangster type where it's a very mm. lavish production um, where he doesn't really have to carry the production um, right he he is part of it um, is, I mean, that... is, is it that kind of Denzel movie or because uh, Denzel has <laughs> Denzel has like he has two spectrums he has those prestige mm-hmm. picture spectrum yep. uh, he has that side of that spectrum where you know the the, the American gangster side of it where he's part of a large ensemble that's beautiful that that ridley scott aesthetic is just gorgeous and he can kind of blend into it or he has the flight man on fire side where Mm -hmm. he is carrying a not not a particularly interesting or great story um but because he's so good in it he's elevating kind of subpar material i would definitely no it absolutely makes sense and i would go with the latter this movie, like again, Colin Farrell is is good. Uh, Carmen Ejogo mm-hmm. uh, is in this. She is good. One of my favorites, uh, Tony Plana, uh, is in this. Who, to me, speaking of ET and our first movie memories, Tony Plana will always be Jefe from Three Amigos to me. Yeah, I cannot see <laughs> him as anything else. So I see him in this movie, and I'm like. <gasps> Like, it just warms my heart. You're like, oh, no. But it just, like... <laughs> so, everyone is good in this, but mm-hmm. it does definitely fit along those lines of, he is great, he is Denzel, 
the movie just felt soft. Yeah. Which is weird because with a director like this, where does that come from? Yeah. Like, why are there those moments of intensity where it really could take a twist? Mm-hmm. And I'm not looking for the dark and gritty You're not nature of Nightcrawler. Where, like, they, or flight, where yeah. Zemeckis actually, like, weirdly turns it on its head and, and he actually has to pay for the sins that he's committed. Well, or, and, or, and, no, and no spoilers, but no, I know, there, yes, there yeah. is... There is a twist like that. Sure. But during the movie, as I'm watching it, I'm like, this is a this is a solid movie. It just kept feeling soft. Like soft is the first word that came to yeah. my mind. Which I can't is... believe I'm giving Robert Zemeckis credit for something for being like hardcore <laughs> or anything. That, by that the way. is kind of weird. But yeah. Um, Go on. <laughs> so all of all of the people were good in the soundtrack. The non so the licensed music in this is great. He has old school soul mm-hmm. Motown because he is listening to it on his 1990s headphones for whatever reason on an iPod one or maybe two. It, <laughs> so, but I, I kind of get it because it fits uh, with his character kind of being on the sure. spectrum and you have your routines. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that. Now to the music, the genre music or the, the score for this movie. And you have worked with premiere you have probably messed around with GarageBand or something like oh, that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Pick any generic score from that. <laughs> that is what they moved in. That is what they used in this movie. <laughs> it blew my mind. The end scene. And I'm not going uh-huh. to spoil what happens in the ending scene, like the last two minutes. You see a character uh-huh. <laughs> uh, in this kind of interaction that could be kind of important. And it has... Like, look for the default. Open Adobe Premiere. Open GarageBand. Yep. Look for, like, 1970s newscaster genre music. They just clicked play. <laughs> oh, that's so good. It was so bizarre. And it had the slowest pan out. As this character is doing a pivotal thing, it just pans out slowly, like, for two yeah. minutes. Slowly, <laughs> while this, like, 1970s newscaster music is going on i was like what is happening <laughs> so the movie itself the storyline was was pretty good i mean as far as head lawyer gets sick ends up passing again this is the first 10 minutes not a spoiler yep denzel as roman has to find himself there's a crime that happens that he has to take on that case and that case has repercussions throughout the movie mm-hmm. that case leads to one of those super intense moments in the film that just plateaus and does not ramp up the movie and take it anywhere. He has a scene with Carmen and Jogo that gets super intense and like it just it makes you tight in the chest. And then it goes nowhere. Yeah. So it just it seemed kind of wasted in those moments. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, that is kind of Roman J. Israel Esquire uh, <laughs> is the movie. It kind of sounds like there are a lot of Denzel movies that uh, pop up on TBS and TNT, and, mm-hmm. um, and just those cable networks FX. Right, you, you sort of like you can get into them halfway through, and you could kind of watch them to the end and be somewhat mm-hmm. entertained. Is this a Denzel movie that you can kind of dive in? On cable and and, and, be, and, be, okay, and be like relatively entertained through the end of it. 100%. See, I'm in then. 
because I'm in, I'm in you that. could pick this up in the last 30 minutes when there's stuff going on. Yeah. And it obviously ties to stuff that happened in the movie. Does that stuff matter? Yeah. See, I don't need <laughs> like, I don't need this movie to be an Oscar winner. I but mm-hmm. if if like I need it to be I got home from a fun party on Saturday night and I'm flipping through channels and I need to watch something for 30 minutes before I fall asleep. This mm-hmm. is this might this kind of sounds like the movie that I need. The other issue with that, this movie is over two hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like which. It's kind of crazy you to me. You give me the last 30 minutes, though. The last 30 Maybe minutes that's what is, I need. is pretty good. <laughs> I'll uh, take it. And if that last 30 minutes is like, all right, let me see what the beginning is like. Sure. And then you catch it again because it is TNT or TBS. Yeah. The next day. Yeah, exactly. And watch the first 90 minutes and then yeah. be like, all right. You get 17 hours of commercials. Oh, <laughs> you finish it. You finish it a little bit later. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. So uh, <laughs> if this is your first time listening to this podcast, if you are a huge Ian Dinsmore fan and Drunk Sunshine fan, and you were like, man, I want to follow this guy wherever he goes, and you're listening to this podcast for the first time, because uh, I'm sure you have just thousands of followers, right? No. That, that is why I invited you here. Is this... Oh, sh- oh, this, oh is, this is awkward. This is bad. This is bad. <laughs> uh, but if you are a follower <laughs> of Ian's work, uh, and this is your first time listening to this podcast, the rating system for this podcast, there are only three choices. There are no stars, like Ian does on his site. There are no letter grades, like other critics do. I developed my own system. Oh, boy. Three choices. <laughs> good, bad, or ugly. Essentially, that means a good film is something that you get out of, you get the feels, you liked it, you enjoyed it, you would recommend it to a friend. A bad film is something you might not immediately recommend, but you do not regret sitting in the theater, in this case, for over two hours. Ugly you hated when you left the the theater. You hated that you felt like you wasted the time, that it just bothered like you. Yeah. Like so this. three choices for Roman J. Israel Esquire by Dan Gilroy. Mm-hmm. That Denzel is getting a big Oscar push only because it is Denzel. Yeah. I will give this a good, only because everybody was decent in it. It was not, there were no performances yep. where I was like, this was terrible. This was dumb. But it this did, feels like cable good. It absolutely is. And it never. I'm glad we talked about cable. <laughs> yeah. It just, it never, <laughs> when it hit those, those strides were easily could yep. have turned a switch and became, and if it had became something different, it would have worked, but it just plateaued. And the first word that comes to mind is just soft. Yeah. So, but it was good. It was not bad. Nobody was bad in this. The soft as in it just kind of wraps up neatly. You put a bow on it. You feel good. Yeah. And again, the theater, the way that it ends the last two minutes of this movie, if maybe not even two minutes, maybe three minutes with the character that I mentioned, I will not mention who it is, but the slow pan out and it is a steady shot. And I love steady shots, steady cam shots. If you give me three minutes, even if it is dialogue. Yeah. One of the reasons I love Kevin Smith, he gives you about seven minutes of just characters <laughs> Maybe talking. Maybe too much, but yeah. Right. This, two minutes of a character interaction, and the camera just slowly pans out. Slow. And with this cheesy music. <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh. But even that cannot take wait. away from the good performances. I can't wait to see this in uh, 2019 on <laughs> right. TNT. Ooh. Well, this this drops in most markets. This weekend, as you were listening to this, the last weekend in November, 
this is probably going to be on cable in 2018. Oh, 2018. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, most likely. Yeah. Uh, on HBO. So that was Roman J. Israel, Esquire. The next movie uh, Ian is going to introduce, uh, it is definitely on a completely different spectrum. Huh. It is, to say the least, yeah. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yes. Ian, take it away. Thank you so much. And the <laughs> the uh, the weird thing about this, and let's just call it three billboards from now on. Yes, um, absolutely. So we don't have Thank to you. constantly say that. Uh, it's an incredible title, and actually, when you really break this movie down, it's the perfect title for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and actually, you whispered uh, to me at the uh, at the screening uh, about five minutes in. Well, I guess they've established that there's three billboards outside <laughs> yeah. Ebbing, Missouri, and they really did. They um, really do. You see the three billboards, and then it pans down to the bottom of the billboard and says Ebbing Advertising Company, Missouri. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, and, okay. And just to break this down on you know on a very pragmatic level, this is uh, Martin McDonough, director, writer, director Martin McDonough, uh, mm-hmm. former playwright. Um, he. Uh, his first two films were uh, In Bruges mm-hmm. um, with Colin Farrell and, uh, um, keep me honest, uh, can't remember <laughs> No, his Keep name. Me Honest was not the name. Keep Me Honest is definitely not his name. Um, uh, Brendan Gleeson, excuse me. Seven Psychopaths? Yeah, Brendan Gleeson was the was the other co-star of, uh, of In Bruges. And then Seven Psychopaths, please don't make me name all seven. Um, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> and that was his, uh, that was his uh, follow-up film to it to in bruges mm-hmm. um in bruges i would argue is a is a, a modern crime classic um wow in many respects that that that's my opinion i i just think it's a uh it's a it's a beautiful really stunning um uh kind of meditation on very angry men and uh and what they'll do in kind of very desperate, desperate times. situations and, yeah. and uh i know that sounds like a cliche but if you if you see kind of how he subverts the the beauty of such a tiny little resort town of of yeah. Bruges. Um, it's it's a it's a pretty spe- special film, and I really don't think Seven Psychopaths, in all of its weird meta commentary <laughs> on on the gangster genre, ever mm-hmm. reaches that um, particular. I would uh, agree. Yeah. Plateau. Um, I I do think it is a, a really interesting film to see as well, um, and it actually plays plays more like a play um um then right. uh then in bruges does but um you definitely see where his sensibility comes from there um and and to speak on that real quick there are movies that play like a play but still work yes fences from earlier this year yeah denzel washington helped you kind of take that screenplay and turn it into a movie because he played that on screen or on stage for so long as much as I love that movie, and it was an incredible movie, yeah, that movie punched me in the heart mm-hmm. multiple times. It looks like a play. Yes, it every does. scene it's, looks like a play, and that play, mm-hmm. um, as it were, takes place in one very kind of confined area. Yeah, um, and Seven Psychopaths does as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's it's filmic only because he really tries hard um, to kind of broaden the scope. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I think Three Billboards is his best film. Um, wow, and, okay. and, and I And this is coming from an ardent defender of In Bruges. Um, Three Billboards follows uh, the, uh, the story of Mildred Hayes, um, who is played by the um, just incredible Francis McDormand. Seriously. <laughs> um, and I would, you know, 
kind of defend her to the end of the earth at this point um, as which, one of America's the, finest uh, actresses and <laughs> just actors, in, 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 period. Which is ridiculous that we would even need to Why say. Why do we have to do that? Like, um, oh, we really should defend. She, okay, this is an Oscar winner <laughs> yes. for Fargo. Mm-hmm. Married she, to one of the Coen brothers as well. True. Mm-hmm. And very easily could have slash maybe will be nominated again i don't think we're going to talk about nominations i think we're going to be talking about a lot of awards and mm. i think a lot of mcdormand speeches over the next couple months um yeah, and really yeah. what it really i mean uh this film is very simple um mm-hmm. it follows her character mildred hayes um as she uh is a roughly six to seven months removed from her daughter being um raped uh murdered and burned Mm -hmm. um and uh she uh lives near three decrepit billboards Mm -hmm. outside ebbing missouri Um, right (laughs) and it's 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 literally on a stretch of road that is essentially abandoned because there has uh there's a new highway that has been uh kind of a highway loop that has been built around it so uh the cops constantly talk about nobody ever driving out there Mm -hmm. because unless they're lost or something Mm -hmm. um or this is a very crass movie there's a lot of other things they say (laughs) very much Um, so but uh so essentially she she goes to the local advertising uh person Mm -hmm. um who's this (laughs) this played by caleb landry jones who I had to look that up. Yep, Caleb Landry Jones, who plays <laughs> Red Welby, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so Red is uh, a ginger kid, mm-hmm. um, you red-haired kid who does not even know these billboards really exist. Nope. Um, but then finds out that they ch- the, the town of Ebbing charges five thousand dollars a month to apparently. Yeah, which yeah. seems like a lot. Um, which it was weird because she offered that, and he was like. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, which maybe they just don't. And <laughs> no. he just was like, that seems like the amount that I should get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he he accepts that money and she essentially paints three billboards, um, which are stark red with black mm-hmm. lettering that essentially say, why haven't the um, Ebbing police uh, investigated my daughter's death mm-hmm. um, and calls out Chief uh, Willoughby? Mm-hmm. by name who is played by Woody Harrelson. Mm-hmm. Um and essentially what this sparks is a uh is a you know for all intents and purposes a war um between her and the police uh, mm-hmm. of this very tiny town. Not just the and it's police, an existential but the town. war. It's an existential war. Um yeah. and it's not it's 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 not a you know fire and brimstone and guns, you know, and right. angry war. <laughs> Uh, it is a small town. It is a where tiny, tiny. Anybody town. who has lived in a small town, anybody who has been in a small town, like we mentioned earlier, uh, Ian went to Washington State University, mm-hmm. which is in Pullman, Washington. Yes, uh, Pullman is a very small, it's extremely small town uh, in eastern Washington, where outside of the college, there are maybe ten thousand permanent residents, maybe a little bit more these days. So any small town like Ebbing, Missouri, which has what seems like hundreds. There's not a thousand people in this town. So as soon as you do anything controversial, the whole town knows about it. Yes. And this isn't just controversial. I mean, this is blatant. Horrendous. Um, Not not what she has done, but the crime against Mm -hmm. her daughter. Um, And essentially what this movie turns into is a darkly comic Mm -hmm. Um, and like viciously funny, um, uh, 
examination of of small town politics mm-hmm. um and it it is not it doesn't pull any punches at all <laughs> oh no <laughs> in fact it just punches you in the face until the movie's over two hours later mm-hmm. um this uh this movie introduces a lot of deputies. One of them is played by Sam Rockwell, mm-hmm. um, who is a blatantly uh, racist, homophobic monster at the beginning yeah. of the movie, um, who goes through a, a really interesting arc, I would argue. And Sam Rockwell, a perennially underused and underappreciated actor, 100% who I agree. really, really hope gets some recognition for his performance here, um, is is just incredible um, mm-hmm. uh, at, at kind of... Uh, conveying this deep-seated ignorance um and and anger that he can't really describe or or articulate um Mm -hmm. but he just shows he he has it on his face his he lives with his mother in this tiny little (laughs) shack essentially and he's drunk all the time Mm -hmm. um mcdonough does a really really good job of never blatantly saying these towns suffer from problems that are interminable and really hard and systemic um, uh, problems uh, that that are that are impossible, really, in many ways to get out from under. Right. Um, instead, he just kind of shows them. Um, exactly. And he shows them as a generational thing. And he uses Rockwell in a really f- interesting way as he, he and his mother watch television. They talk to each other about these problems in the town. They sort of back up each other's weird prejudices, yeah. um, and uh, and they just drink the whole time. All the time. And as they're drinking, they just slowly kind of uh, like devolve into these kind of gross monsters. And then he ends up at a bar inevitably, and he mm-hmm. beats someone up, and he goes after uh, Red Welby for for putting up these billboards mm-hmm. and he um confronts mildred constantly um mm-hmm. and they always throw it back at him and it's such a small town that it's kind of weird that way um and the but race the, the racism the acceptance. yes and but <laughs> they accept racism in a really almost disgusting yeah i'm not almost disgusting it is disgusting mm-hmm. um they accept it in a really disgusting way as well and the black residents of the town all three of them <laughs> yeah i mean all three of them they all have jobs, but they all sort of accept it too. And, um, and so there's these, there's, there's a very obvious, um, statement about the political nature of these small towns in rural America as Mm -hmm. well. Um, and I think it's done very deftly and it's not done like something like Suburbicon that does it in such a blatant, (laughs) silly, stupid way. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I was just so impressed by the way McDonough, uses this like really vicious and sometimes brutal humor and violence um to uh to to show that um and i don't know if general audiences will know what to do with it <laughs> because it is very funny um it, and it people, is legitimately and, and funny and people will laugh very hard but it's really really hard to reckon with by the end um, when people when people talk about dark comedies mm-hmm. when people talk about the movies that you laugh but you are not sure why you are laughing I mean, the biggest example of that recently is Get Out being nominated, or not being nominated, but, you know, well, actually, I think it is being nominated. It is in the comedy category. Oh, it'll be nominated a lot. <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of people were like, oh, I'm not sure if that's comedy, blah, blah. It is. But the fact that people are laughing and they're not sure why and they're uncomfortable maybe with what yep. they're laughing about, that matters too. 
And so what is interesting with this film, as somebody who, <laughs> and I've talked about this before, is ethnically ambiguous like myself, <laughs> you have to, throughout life, sometimes ride that fine line yep. if somebody is ignorant or arrogant. In this film, the fact that Sam Rockwell's character who lives with his mom, who is also all of these things, he is pretty much arrogant to the world yeah. because it is such a small town. He grew up not only in this town, in this same house. Yes. It took Which him. He still lives in. It took him the same six, tiny yeah. <laughs> room that he grew up in. Six years yep. to finish the police academy. <laughs> oh god! So with that, you know, so you, you and people in the town don't mm-hmm. let him off for being stupid, no. and ignorant and dumb, like Mildred and. Uh, I can't recall Peter Dinklage's character. They all at the pub, mm-hmm. they all call him out constantly um, for yep. his ignorance and his um, kind of bigoted nature. Yeah. All of it. The, they, and all of them also grew up there. No, and they, there. and they all like, have it as well. They, yeah, they, in they, various ways. They compartmentalized it in a way um, mm-hmm. that is that is very bizarre and sort of hard to um, to reckon with as you root for the better people as you see them in the story. It's yeah. a <laughs> it's a really hard movie to root for anyone in. But yeah. you you understand Mildred's pain. You understand mm-hmm. why she's doing what she does. And you honestly, um, you understand uh, Chief Willoughby's pain. Absolutely. Um, as well. Absolutely. And uh and I, I really think uh Harrelson is perfectly cast in, in that role. Totally agree. Um, he he's so warm. He's such a warm performer. Mm-hmm. Um and he uh is perfect as kind of the the saving grace of the police force, uh in yeah. a way. <laughs> Even though in many instances he says things that are really bigoted and awful like Mm -hmm. if that makes it's no it does again it's really really hard to reckon with but i think mcdonough is doing that i mean he's i don't think he is doing it on purpose he's he's giving us all of these very complex people to say (laughs) these people exist all over this country um and uh they exist right next to you and i can you talk to these people and mm-hmm. understand where they're coming from and attempt to reconcile their bigoted views with your seemingly progressive ones. And that is a really hard thing to do. And and uh, it it sparks, I hope this movie is seen by enough people to spark some dialogue and not just be glossed over as a funny and mm-hmm. kind of violent uh, view of small town America. Because I don't, I do think it is much more than that. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. And the first words that came to mind as we were watching this that I told the studio rep after we were done with it, all of the characters from top to bottom have a brutal authenticity. Oh, yes. Everybody is believable. This is not one of the movies. And again, like I talked about Roman J's role just a few minutes ago, you see these old school headphones, you see an old iPod, you're like, okay, kind of what is what is this deal? Every character in three billboards is believable. Like this person not only could exist, this person does. They all live there. Yeah. And (laughs) even even Dinklage's character who maybe has 10 minutes of screen time, maybe 15, Mm -hmm. he is fully formed. Like, you know, you know who he is. Um, 
And the way I haven't seen Roman, but the way you describe it, it sounds like they use affects. They use like pieces of mm -hmm. a time to 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 attempt to put it in a place where three billboards, every single character, and there's maybe a dozen, um, yep. like roughly in the whole movie. You know something about every single one of them, mm -hmm. and you know the geography of the town within the first twenty five minutes of the movie. Yeah, I mean it is so self assured. It's a it's so incredible in that way. And I think it deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, that's a really hard thing to do. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and I think I think McDonough does a really good job of sort of like taking a like a drone view of the grid of this tiny town. Mm, and, and I like that. And saying, I know where all of these things are. Um, and I'm going to place you near them constantly. The police station, the mm -hmm. bar. Her um, house. Mildred's home, mm -hmm. the three billboards, and we are going to we we are going to know exactly how far away and close you are to all of those places. And uh, I think McDonough does just an incredible job of giving us a sense of space and 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 time in that way. Um, and I I'm just so excited that this movie exists and mm -hmm. and for people to see it. And McDonough is is one of the best to me. Uh, writer directors working today. Wow, and you brought up something also interesting that with this film, all of the phones you see in the houses are all cord phones. Cord phones. Yep. <laughs> you see one kind of flip phone. Yep. This is a movie that I mean, yes, it takes place now. We say, but this could kind of fit into a few different eras. This could be five oh, sure. years ago, ten years mm -hmm. ago. The fact that he's able to do that without most people noticing or realizing this is now. This is this is not something that happened in the 80s that, oh, we got past that. This could very well and is, as we know, in our modern political climate, this is still happening. That deafness of ability to do that and weave that in was tremendous. Absolutely. And he, he really reckons with the... Uh, the ignorance um, and the privilege of whiteness in, yes. in middle America. And <laughs> mm -hmm. he, he, he does it in a way that is not overt. Mm -hmm. um, again, I keep coming back to Suburbicon, which is just so obvious, you yes, know, like absolutely. everything is like so silly in in that. I hate that movie. Hey, but, look at this. Yeah. Like we get like, it. Aren't white people dumb? Um, <laughs> but like in this movie, he, he really shows, um, he he really gives you, especially with Mildred. Mm -hmm. I I think she's a really good case study for this. Gives you um, a view of a like a small town uh, white woman in Middle America who's trying really hard to keep mm -hmm. it together, who has internal prejudice that she can't, that she doesn't really even need like require uh, or need to reckon with mm -hmm. in her mind. Um, yeah. Uh, because she has a black friend and she has an Asian friend and, mm -hmm. and, and, and she has a small person. She friend. has a small person. <laughs> she has a dwarf friend, you know, in, in Peter Dinklage and everything. So in probably in her mind, she's, she's just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but throughout the course of the movie, you watch her just drink way yep. too much. You watch her say things that are incredibly bigoted and, yeah. and sad, just sort of like off the cuff. Um, mm -hmm. and you watch people around her do the same thing. Um, and you see um, the scope of what white privilege is. Yeah. Um, 
And you see when you're surrounded by other white people in small towns um, and you have and minorities are so segmented to mm-hmm. literally three people. Pretty like, much. Yeah. <laughs> in, in this movie, it's it's literally three black people mm-hmm. um, in Suburbicon. Um, it was three. Yes. Uh, so. In a much less deft way than this yeah, movie. But y- you know what I mean? And to to watch uh, McDonough kind of navigate um, uh, that topic is really, really incredible and and really interesting mm-hmm. um and i don't i hope people pick up on it um because i think it's i think it's very uh it, it, it's it's very um forward mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he he does a very good job of showing you uh what he's trying to say um about mm-hmm. whiteness in america but he also um doesn't put a riot in front of a uh, black family's home yeah. <laughs> like in, like in Suburbicon yeah. so mm-hmm. um, I I just I think this is an exceptional film and one you're going to hear a lot about um, uh, over the, the course of the next few months when we For start sure. seeing the awards um, yeah. l- lauded on top of these people. The, the awards circuit which is definitely I mean we already started it uh, here in Seattle <laughs> all of us Ooh. in the Seattle Film Critics Society <laughs> Have been getting a ton of screeners, which is amazing. Too many. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. You know, but it just it, it is happening. <laughs> so award season is upon us. This movie easily could be in the running for best ensemble. Mm-hmm. Frances McDormand could easily be in the nominate or be in the category for best actress. She, she will win. I, Ooh. I I think she's going to win best actress. Putting it on wax. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, November As someone 22nd. who hasn't seen all the movies, I, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. making a blind prediction here. I mean, she is tremendous in this. And the other thing about these characters is all of them have irredeemable qual- irredeemable qualities. Mm-hmm. And yet they are fully fleshed out characters. Yes. When you see her as just this tough woman who is not going to take any crap, who is going to do X, Y, and Z, but when a character has a physical breakdown in front of her and immediately you see her transform into that, that caring, warm person who is almost like, motherly. Absolutely. That transition, man, it's, it, it's it, incredible. Yeah. Um, you see her breakdown several times in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the film and none of them feel forced. Nope. And they shouldn't. Um, nobody I, does like that. No. The amazing thing. And Caleb Landry Jones is, Maybe the only person who I had a not difficult time with, but he's a hard actor to break through because he <laughs> he has always had that that affect with his um the way he he speaks at least for me yeah um, well and the way he, 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 he looks he, he does it, he he has the very pursed lips he mm-hmm. he feels very intense but um and I, I I apologize for interrupting and stealing your thunder here no, but no. like um for me he actually. Uh, won me over. Um, oh no, he he in, did in, in this film. Where in other times in his career he hasn't. Um, yeah, where he's it, the the performances felt like extremely like tight, tight. Like yeah. he's really clenching his jaw, mm-hmm. like I'm doing right no, now. No, <laughs> this movie has he has one of the most compassionate moments. Yeah. in this entire movie, and it comes at a Oof. point where I was real nervous. Oof. Because seeing him it's in a other things, moment actually, <laughs> yeah, seeing him in other things and knowing his characters, and I'm like, okay, what is gonna like? I need to start getting tight and worried. Mm-hmm. It turned out to be one of the most compassionate moments. Tremendous, yeah. 
So easily for best ensemble. Yeah. Ian said her, you know, that she is going the Ian or Frances, <laughs> Frances McDormand is going to win for yeah. best actress. I would not be opposed to that. And I think we're going to hear finally uh, Sam Rockwell's name in the in the conversation for that would be great. Actor. I, I, I think we should hear it um, mm-hmm. at the very least. Um, I don't know if he'll win, um, but he absolutely deserves to be in that conversation. Totally agree. Yeah. OK, so for three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, uh, again, the rating system of good, bad and ugly since you introduced the film. Ian, what do you give three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri? Uh, I, I suppose I have to give it good. Can I give it excellent? <laughs> nope. um, Sorry. It's <laughs> the worst rating system. <laughs> the um, best. No, um, no, I have to give it a good. Um, mm-hmm. I give it a good with a caveat. I, mm. uh, You have to have a stomach for this movie. Um, Agreed. This, uh, this is a really hard movie to watch in a lot of ways. It's a hard movie to... Uh, to uh, to reckon with is just a human being. I think Mm -hmm. Um, it has some pretty grotesque violence in it as well um, that you need to be prepared for. Um, But at the, like I would recommend this movie to any person who loves film and who loves Mm. to, um, uh, who loves this time of year. Um, When we get these, when Hollywood backloads all of these films, Mm -hmm. um, to November and December. I mean, to keep them fresh in people's yes, minds. Yes, exactly. This yeah. is this is one we're going to hear about a lot um, yeah. through January and February, um, and one that deserves to be heard about a lot. Um, it features performances that you won't see um, anywhere else. Um, mm-hmm. It features uh, just impeccably good direction um, and really, really biting and hul- hilarious writing. Um, mm-hmm. And I uh, I couldn't recommend it higher. It, it, it's okay. It's it's not only a top 10 contender, it's a top five, maybe best of the year. Contender wow. For me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I absolutely agree with, with everything Ian said. This movie blew me away. We had two opportunities to see this movie. I missed the first one and so I was like, I. Yep. you know, it, I did not really feel anything for it. And then I started looking into it and I was like, all right, heard a little bit of the buzz. I was like, let me check it out. Mm-hmm. I am so glad that I did. My rating for three billboards is an absolute good. This movie is tremendous. And like you said, it is going to be tough, I think, for some people to get through this. Uh, Speaking of the not violent nature. Well, there is violence and everything and some brutal parts. What I find fascinating, I have talked about it before. I can watch a zombie movie where somebody gets cut in half with a chainsaw. And yet, if somebody brings out a syringe... Or hypodermic needle and goes to give someone like a tetanus shot, I have to turn away. Ugh, it grosses me. I have tattoos and it is different than this. And so this movie <laughs> has a syringe, but also has, and this is in one of the trailers, uh, a scene with a dental drill uh-huh. that is brutal. I've been miming the dental drill for the last like minute while you're yeah. setting this up. <laughs> So th- it's this so horrible. this movie is intense. It's and so gross. A lot of the characters do irredeemable things, but they all feel real. That brutal authenticity. Yep. So absolutely, it gets a good from me. Okay. So moving on to the next movie that Ian has not seen. Yeah. Because he is a jerk and did not go to the screening. I love talking about movies I haven't seen. Uh, <laughs> this is the, fun. The first one, of course, being Roma J. Israel. Mm-hmm. 
So this next movie that I had the chance to see is The Disaster Artist. Uh, oh, I'm so depressed I haven't seen this. Directed by James Franco. <laughs> uh, this movie is basically based... It is based on the book um, of The Disaster Artist by Greg Sestero, who, was, who played Mark in The Room. The Room, for those people who do not know, is a cult classic. It is the Citizen Kane of bad films. I... It I, is. I recommend. <laughs> it, it is. I just have to chime in. As oh, someone man. who's seen The Room, it, mm-hmm. it, it is. It's incredible. I encourage everybody, go see The Room. And not just go see Do not rent it. If you watch this movie by yourself, you're going to hate yourself. You're going to hate me for recommending it. It's an audience participation movie. Yes. It is Rocky go Horror. Go to the theater. It is... It is it is when you go to the independent in downtown Los Angeles and they they walk out in front of you, even if you're watching something like Hook or The Princess Bride, mm-hmm. and they, they give you a bunch of rules beforehand. Awesome. Um, we, we did that a couple of years ago, and it was very fun. And they Wait, give for you, which one? For Hook or Princess both, Bride? We did a double what? feature for Hook. Uh, we watched Hook first and then Princess Bride second, and we had um, – we had rules that were given to us beforehand. Um, and it was so fun. Um, and the room is the like ultimate version of mm-hmm. the audience participation. Film. I would not say the ultimate only because I'm biased as a former participant and actor in the Rocky horror okay, picture yes. show. Uh, yes. I don't know ro- how I didn't mention that. The room audience participation would not exist without Rocky horror it's picture true. show. You're right. But I totally agree. It is. This is a midnight screening Go to your independent theater. Not even independent. Well, go to your see smaller it at the theater. Egyptian if you can in Seattle. Yes, you would. You will have a blast. The, so the room is amazing in and of itself. The Disaster Artist, which premiered at Sundance months ago, started getting so much buzz. Picked up a bunch of uh, accolades at Sundance. So the whole time during this, I was highly anticipating it because I love the room. Because it is terrible. And I have seen it performed, or not performed, I have gone to audience participation shows before. We had one recently in Seattle that was amazing. <laughs> and there were like seven, maybe a dozen of us who actually had seen it before and knew the callback lines. But the room is amazing. The Disaster Artist, based on the book by Greg Sestero, who played Mark in the original, is about the behind the scenes. Is about... Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero and everybody involved in the production of The Room and how it even came to be. <laughs> so I will say this right off the I'm top. I'm just laughing because it's just uh, so fun. <laughs> James Franco, who plays Tommy Wiseau, who is the person who wrote, directed, produced, stars, did everything with The Room. James Franco plays him in an un canny performance like he there are times when james franco during the movie you see him and you're like oh okay that is james franco as soon as he opens his mouth and says any line of dialogue yeah it is tommy wiseau (laughs) i mean it's seriously and if you've seen the room right there tommy has a very specific accent and not only Um, accent and just like (laughs) affect and and Mm -hmm. And get, this is the way he speaks. His like and the way he walks. His gait is like very specific. Like mm-hmm. everything is. There are there are people who do method acting. Yeah, we talk about <laughs> it all the time. Yes, we do. When people who take really who take it really seriously, the Daniel Day Lewises of the world, mm-hmm. the Daniel Day Lewises, 
the Gary Oldman who is going to be in the darkest hour, like uh-huh. who really want to embody that character. Yep. If it is a historical character, like a president, a prime minister, sure, sure, Lincoln, you know what I'm mm-hmm. doing a version of Tommy Wiseau, <laughs> who is super eclectic, but no one really knows about him oh, that no. much. No. And the way that James Franco is able to do that with his cadence, with his tone, with his performance, phenomenal. Oh, I love it. I mean, it. So the movie itself, I mean, like I said, it goes over basically the behind the scenes of the room, the production, his relationships uh, with Greg Sestero, his relationship with the other actors, the directors, and his process of going from a quote unquote nobody taking acting classes to creating this movie that, in his mind, was this great movie. It turns out to be one of the cult classics because it is so awful. (laughs) But the authenticity, I will go back to it again, the authenticity that James Franco put into this performance Mm -hmm. blew me away. Dave Franco, on the other hand, Uh it is one of those weird situations where Dave Franco is not bad, but when you're in the scene with someone who is so much better, it just shines a light on everyone else who is maybe not as good, even though their performance is not. I love bad. Dave Franco as an actor as well. Yeah. And like I I like I haven't seen the film, but please like kind of enlighten me on why. Like is it just because and I've never I've never thought of James as some like big kind of take over a scene type mm-hmm. of actor. I mean he in the Deuce uh, on HBO, right. uh, the David Simon uh, show, he he plays twin brothers, and even in those performances, which are very good and very lived in, and just like v- really wonderful performances, he he doesn't really like own scenes, if that makes sense. Like, and that may be a character uh, choice, in, yeah. in, in many ways. And I'd love to know, like, why because. Dave has a ton of charisma. It, Absolutely. You know, and I, I don't think you're saying he doesn't, but mm-hmm. um, I, w- I would love to know why. Is it just because uh, Tommy's just so bizarre that, I mean, and that performance requires that, so it kind of drowns everything out around him? I or? think, yes. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that is part of it. Because that's kind of what the room is in a way. Oh, for sure. Well. But, like, <laughs> when, you, when you see James Franco as Tommy, he is Tommy Wiseau. We talk about it before, we have talked about it before, and it is kind of cliche. James Franco is acting. He is acting his butt off in this movie. Yep. Dave Franco is reacting. Got it. So it is not that he is bad. It just, you can see kind of what is going on. You can see the the motions and everything. Whereas, because James Franco is playing a character so incredibly well, mm-hmm. you lose yourself in him. Anybody else... You kind of just notice the little things. And Dave Franco, uh, shout out to everybody, not including myself. Uh, shout out to everybody <laughs> who has just a struggle beard. Yeah. Dave Franco, bro. You got a nice beard. No. His beard in this is terrible. <laughs> and it is you can tell it is just <laughs> fake and it, just, it looks pretty weird. Yeah. Greg Sestero in the original room has, you know, a full beard. And then at one point, you know, he comes into the room, comes into the apartment without it and... You know, he is this Adonis of a man, which is ridiculous. <laughs> so Dave Franco, like the beard, it was another thing that kind of took it away a little yeah. bit. Um, what about the other um, 
cameos in in the film. There's so yeah. many. There I are mean, a ton of cameos. There's and I was Paul Shear, Seth Rogen. There's like a yeah. million. Jordan Carmichael. Yeah, Jordan Carmichael. <laughs> I mean, it. There are a bunch of people in this, and I was worried about that. I was like, okay, is it just going to be another movie where James Franco does it with all of his buddies? Yeah. It is not. So well, that's great. Seth Rogen is in it. Paul Shear is in it. They work within their characters mm-hmm. and not once overshine or overstep their welcome. Oh, I love that. Because, again, it goes back to James Franco, who we talked about three billboards. James Franco, if he is not nominated, actually, I think he will be nominated for Best Actor. I hope for the Academy, but probably not. I think he will pick up maybe some Critics' Choice or... Maybe not spirit because I think this movie is a little. It does not fit within their budget, but I think we're gonna see him at Oscar night. I I really do. Yeah. And I, what's me, weird is gonna is it what what I think is going to happen, and I mm-hmm. haven't seen the film. Is I I'm I'm starting to feel like we're gonna have a. <laughs> it's gonna be a weird Oscar race. We're gonna have a Daniel Day Lewis, um, <laughs> uh, James Franco like head to head battle. Oof. What a weird battle that That is insane. Especially if when, once we get to the Oscars, uh, Franco will be sitting next to Tommy. And Daniel Day-Lewis will be sitting next to him. That will I mean, make honestly, me so happy. The Oscars have been super boring for, like, ever. A while. Um, um, so, to see those three sitting next to each other, I would pay a million dollars. Like, that, that mm-hmm. would be incredible. To see yep. that weirdo sitting in between those two weirdos, <laughs> that would be so great. Oh, I would take it. I'd, and to- I mean, so... It. I, I encourage people, pick up the book that is Astro Artist. Mm-hmm. The book is chock full of behind-the-scenes imagery. Greg Sestero and uh, I forget his co-author, uh, Mark. If I were a better podcaster, I would have pulled that up, but I did not. Uh, Perfect. But, but Greg Sestero, who played Mark. like People will find it. He, yeah. He <laughs> talks about what really happened. The behind-the-scenes story of this movie is crazier than the movie, which is saying something if you have never seen The Room. So the fact that they were able to do that, it translated well. James Franco just crushed it. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of those side cameos, which I was worried about kind of overshadowing it, never did. Mm -hmm. And really, they're only in it. I mean, they're in it quite a bit, but it it works. And some of the the behind-the-scenes things that I was hearing about... James Franco kind of stayed in character yeah. as Tommy, which would make sense because Tommy wrote it, directed, starred in it, produced it. So it He's a renaissance sense. man, but, Tommy mm-hmm. Wiseau. Actually, yes. Uh, one of the things that I will absolutely, I will always give Tommy Wiseau credit <laughs> for, for I'm, a few things, but one of which mm-hmm. being an independent filmmaker. I love Kevin Smith. He is one of my, my heroes. He is a fantastic filmmaker. When he made Clerks, for $27,575. And then Miramax came along, which is all problematic now. Yes. They were like, we want to distribute your film. And to do that, we want these characters. We want this and this. And he was like, uh, okay, sir. He does. Not, he owns a couple of the characters, but not the rights. Mm-hmm. Not this and that. Tommy Wiseau owns everything having to do with the room. Anytime <laughs> anybody wants to do something with the room... A true hero. He gets a cut. <laughs> a true hero. Brilliant. <laughs> Part of that comes from possibly this bottomless pit of a money of a bank account. Oh yeah. Nobody like By the way, the <laughs> the room's budget, uh, according to Box Office Mojo, mm-hmm. is uh, six million dollars. Six million dollars. How? 
Footballs? Spoons? <laughs> Spoon. Like one set in an apartment that nobody apparently owns? Like, hi, Denny. Yeah. Hi, oh, hi, Denny. <laughs> like uh, six. What? Uh, six million dollars? When you watch the disaster artist. How many takes of, that... of hi, Denny do you need? Or by Denny? He right. says it 4,000 times. Like, <laughs> why, what? When you watch the disaster artist, some of that comes into play. You see him go to um, <laughs> a place where you rent f- where new rent cameras, like we have here locally, Glazers. Uh-huh. Now imagine, Ian, mm-hmm. you go to make a movie. I will. Uh, you go into Glazers, mm-hmm. and you're like, all right, I'm making a movie. This is what I need. And they're like, cool, do you want film or digital? Because remember, this is 2001 that he is making this film. They're like, film or digital? He says both. And the employees are like, and one of the employees is Hannibal Burris, and he was like, uh, pe- people don't don't do that. That you normally should. And he was like, yeah, yeah, bo- both. I I want both. And they're like, okay, the rental. And he was like, no, I don't want to buy them. So he bought the equipment. Really? Like he literally owns everything for this movie. He owns the equipment. He it owns- is. So bizarre. Like I, I was going to ask you that. Like, do they like reckon with this insane budget that he had? But apparently they yes, do. They yeah. they do. And what is amazing also is they touch on aspects of this Tommy Wiseau mystery of oh. who he is, where he comes from. They have the opportunity to, sounds like a miracle. to answer some of these questions. They do not. At one point, uh, multiple points, they ask him where his accent is from, and he was like, What accent? <laughs> and they were like, uh, do do you hear yourself? Where are you from? And he was like, New Orleans. <laughs> like, what What part of the bayou? <laughs> so it is phenomenal. Uh, some of the other notes that I wrote down uh, is that this is passion personified. This is not just a, and I mean, not to necessarily push someone down to raise someone up. When they did Superman Returns, because that ties into something else that we will talk about. Brian Stinger, when he did Superman Returns, essentially just remade the Donner movies from the 70s. It was like, hey, I loved those movies. Look at what we can do now. And it was almost a shot for shot. It just felt the same. Mm -hmm. This is not that. This is passion personified. He took something that nobody really knew about and turned it into an intense movie on its own that is one of the funniest movies of the year. Hands down, one of the funniest movies of the year. Well. So... (laughs) Uh, one thing I will also say, there is a post-credit scene that really at, there's a there's kind of a mid-credits yeah. and a post-credits. Please, are we talking about Justice League or no? No, this is still a disaster oh, artist. Okay. Right. Please stay for those. They are one hundred percent worth it. James Franco gets all the props in the world. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so for my rating, if you could not already tell, because I'm really bad at you yeah, know, you're really disclose y- not yeah, disclosing that. Yeah, yeah. This is an absolute 100% good, one of the funniest movies of the year. James Franco should be in contention for best actor. I think he will win it in some of the smaller critics associations and circuits. We it, haven't seen Phantom Thread yet, so we don't true. know if we're going to give him DDL the <laughs> Lifetime Achievement Award. But, but if, he, if James Franco <laughs> were to get nominated for an Oscar... I think it's going to happen. I would be so impressed. Yep. So, good for them. This is this is an exceptional movie. Uh, not only does it tie into something later that we will talk about in my upcoming projects, but yeah, tremendous movie. Can I ask you the last question? I'm sorry to save it till the end. Um, mm-hmm. Could you enjoy this movie without seeing the room? Short answer: Yes. 
Long answer, no. Because that is just as short as the <laughs> first answer. Like seven O's. Um, you should see the room. Before you see the, the disaster artist, see the room. You will understand it better. You will get why they do some of the things they do mm-hmm. within the room. Yeah. So I absolutely recommend the room. Uh, we talked about it before we were recording. On Amazon, apparently it is back-ordered quite a bit. Try and find it. Yeah. Uh, it is worth finding. But again, if you watch it at home and you're disappointed, do not come to me. Go see it in the theater. Yeah. Watch it with people. You will laugh. It is hilarious. Then watch The Disaster Artist so you get the in-jokes. Tremendous. Love it. So it gets a good for me. I, I absolutely love this film. Okay. So now, on to the... Uh-oh. <laughs> on to the last film that we will be discussing on this week's episode of the Outdoor Review Podcast. Justice League. <laughs> uh, directed by, co-directed, kind of, sort of, by Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon. Okay, so I'm going to take the reins on this one. Like quietly, maniacally laughing over here. Um, In the studio, we are surrounded by Superman things, by Justice League things, by thousands of comic books in the studio. So similar to if a detective's wife is murdered and he goes to the police chief and he's like, I want to find the killer. I want to do this. And the police chief is probably going to be like, you're too close to this. We, you shouldn't do this. Someone else should take this case. This is a movie with Justice League that I'm so close to. I am so... It is so ingrained in who I am as a person that I had a lot of expectations for this movie. And I know that we should go into these movies blind with no expectations. Impossible. Like, that's how I went into it. You did. Mm-hmm. Um, well, no. Well, yeah. Well, you, you you at least had seen Batman vs. Superman. I've seen them all. You saw Man of Steel. Uh-huh. So really I really got my hopes up for this one. I, I tried. <laughs> I will fully admit that I tried to go into this with an open mind. Yeah. So, the film, Justice League. This takes place, I would say, months after Batman vs. Superman. We're never <laughs> I mean, quite maybe. sure. All we know is oh, that after the events... Really hard for me. <laughs> After the events of Batman versus Superman, the world has now revered Superman as a savior, as, as a messiah. Because, and I will defend Man of Steel sometimes, and in certain ways. I will defend it in the way that when people are like, he smashed through buildings downtown, he killed millions of people, blah, blah. Guess what? That was his first day on the job. He literally found out he had powers that he could fly. 24 hours before he had to fight General Zod through Metropolis. So, with that disclaimer out of the window, uh, the events of this take place after Batman versus Superman. Again, m- months, but... Undisclosed amount of time. Undisclosed amount of time. It should have been after the events of Man of Steel, because so far... When we saw Batman vs. Superman, this version of Superman, played by Henry Cavill, who looks like Superman, I will give him that. Yep, he does. I actually think he's a pretty good Superman, to be honest. He is a good Superman, and this goes back to an episode, I think episode like two of this podcast. This is number 82. Henry Cavill has what I call the Dean Cain complex. 
So, Ian, ask me the Dean Cain complexes. What is that? The Dean Cain complex? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. In the history of Superman on film, go back to George Reeves, there's the Dean Cain complex where you have to portray Clark Kent and Superman. You cannot portray just one. Christopher Reeve. Like, my heart bleeds for Christopher Reeve. There are scenes with him when you see him drop Clark Kent and become Superman within two seconds. In Superman 2, when he falls into the fireplace, mm -hmm. you know, and she was like, oh, blah, blah. And she starts freaking out. And he stands there. She goes off to the bathroom to get some towels. And he rises up. He straightens out his back, takes off his glasses. Lois? Like, ugh. It crushes me. <laughs> like, I will be a Christopher Reeve apologist till the day I die. Because he could do it. He could play Clark Kent and yep. Superman. Dean Cain on the New Adventures of Lois and Clark for anybody who grew up in the 90s. You looked at Superman, you're like, that is a good-looking man. Mm -hmm. Dean Cain walks into the Daily Planet, and you're like, that is a good-looking... Wait a minute. You you cannot... He cannot do both. And now he's on Fox News, so... Is he really? Oh, that makes me sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, that he makes came. me real sad. Um, yeah, real bummer. But he was also the worst on, Superman in many ways. He was also in Supergirl, though, mm -hmm. on this on CW, which I love that show. Uh, but that Dean Cain complex comes in when someone cannot play both roles. Right. Henry Cavill, he walks into the scene. You're like, that is a gorgeous man. That is what like that is incredible. Okay, it's so not a Superman. Then Clark Kent shows up into the office, and he is giant. Yeah. <laughs> and just happens to be wearing glasses like, uh, hello, I want to cover this story. Like, boy, get out of here. Like that is a very... <laughs> I, I will say, that is a very Snyder way of shooting a man. Um, and he's yes. always done that. Um, so, like, in his previous films, he hasn't had to shoot men with much clothes on. Um, so. True. So now he's putting clothes on these giant hunky men, <laughs> right. um, and they're wearing they're wearing like Terry Crews like mm -hmm. tight, you know, suits and everything like to show their muscles off and everything. Like you could you could make like Man from Uncle uh, Ooh, is a perfect yeah. example of Henry Cavill not wearing suits so tight that he looks like he's gonna burst out of them. Mm -hmm. Like that is a that is a very Snyder way. Snyder has a weird uh, male gaze on um, men and women. I was um, going to say, not just and, men. <laughs> um, and his 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 male gaze on women is is equally as problematic. I would mm -hmm. argue, um, 100%. especially when he um, how do you say it? Thymus thymusuria thymuscara thymuscara. Sorry, <laughs> um, thymuscara. Mm -hmm. um, but the the uh, the Amazons in mm -hmm. on, on Thymuscara in in this film are much more scantily clad uh, than they were in Wonder Woman, like yes. dramatically more scantily clad, mm -hmm. and and all the men in this movie have topless scenes. Yep, every single one. Oh, like Flash, Flash does not. Oh, ex except for Flash, who is who, um, who Ezra is Miller, the, uh, who's Ezra Miller, who is like played in a very kind of you know, somewhat sexually ambiguous, childlike, way, like very childlike. It, yeah. He, like, I, I didn't really like how they played his character. And I'm sorry, we're getting way off topic here, but, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, Superman doesn't have a shirt on 
for a while mm-hmm. in this in this movie. Yep. And and then he finally puts one on and when he put it on in our screening there was like an audible chuckle in the movie yeah. like oh he's finally got a flannel on. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so so yes. So and all that all that I don't know where in. that leads us but I'm just like, again so. that that Dean Kane complex. Yeah. I can forgive certain actors because just like Batman you have to be able to play a good Bruce Wayne and a good Batman. Mm-hmm. Ben Affleck has been and will continue to get a bunch of crap for his portrayal. He is actually a pretty decent Bruce Wayne. Yes, he is. He plays a decent Bruce Wayne. He's older, I, kind of salt and pepper I hair. I completely agree with you. I hate his Batman. Yeah, I hate his Batman too. His Batman doesn't transform. No. His Batman's sort of like a drunk Batman. And um, that, that is like, like you have he, to be able to like, do that. Like you have to be able to to take that dichotomy. Of, Bale Bale just crushes him in that department, in my opinion. Uh, mm. Well, we can fight over this, but <laughs> right. I, I really, I really do think, regardless of what you think of the the gravelly Bale voice, mm-hmm. um, I do think Bale does a really. He's much more physical, um, and yes. Bat, Batman requires a physicality yes. um, that that uh, Affleck just doesn't have. Affleck looks thick. He looks yeah. thick and slow. Um, Which, again, it portrays the Frank Miller style of Batman yeah. from, like, Dark Knight Returns. Yep. You look at that Batman, he is squat. He is yeah. still big, but he is just he's squat and just thick. That is not the lithe martial artist that I know and I love. The thing is with Batman, not only is Batman the greatest detective, he is one of the greatest tacticians. He is a top five martial artist in the DC universe. Yeah. Why have we never seen that in these films? Christian Bale was the closest that we saw to a real martial artist because, yeah. like, all right, training with training with the League of Shadows, yeah. like, and I would, I would even argue that that is maybe more filmmaking style than anything else. Um, Agreed. Because Nolan still doesn't shoot action particularly well Agreed. or in yep. an interesting <laughs> fashion, and. Uh, by the time the Dark Knight Rises got uh, uh, re- was released, um, mm-hmm. he he had kind of perfected what he thought Batman was. Um, yeah, um, and it wasn't very interesting. It was a lot of just like slug. It was a slugfest, you know. Yeah. Um, which is not Batman. Yeah, and the the best martial arts we ever got from batman in the modern era was the uh the first scene uh, of dark knight in hong kong when he mm. when he flies in and just whoops all those guys um he flies through the window um right. it's filmed in a really interesting way like it's it's got that grand imax scale like everything is so beautiful mm-hmm. um in this movie we batman's like a klutz <laughs> Seriously, like, like that, trips and falls over everything like that is what i do <laughs> not really understand weird, actually, yeah about these movies so in batman versus superman and we will not spoil it just came out last year whatever batman in this big battle with a creature does not really do anything no he just kind of sits in his he sits in the batmobile like and the whole so, time and so that that is kind of crazy to me but going back to the the plot of the movie Oh, sorry. Yes. So, yeah, that, that was yes. where we were initially That's going. A uh, heck so of a tangent. This, this takes place, a f- we'll say a few months, because we're never quite sure. A few months after the events of Batman vs. Superman. Superman is is dead. Spoiler for anybody who has not seen Batman vs. Superman. Uh, and Batman starts to realize, okay, there is something bigger going on. 
he sees a parademon in Gotham City and is like, okay, what is this thing? How does it connect with some of these notes? Blah, blah. It starts to build his team. All of this is in the trailers. That team building that took Marvel six years to do, DC did in the first 20 minutes. Where it was like, hey, here's Batman. Hey, here's Aquaman. I think hey, I timed here's it, the Flash. by the way. I think it's 35. Is it like really? Roughly 35. But still, it's a lot. The movie ostensibly is only an hour 45 um, with uh, without credits. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a third of it. Yeah, maybe a little more than a third of it is this team building. And that team building, again, we have seen all of it in the trailers. Every interaction that he has with a new Every team person, one. we see in the trailer. So it was like, we know, what, and I'm okay with that in a, in a park. It was like, okay, we know what is going to happen. But watching it, it nope. was just like, why, why are we taking this long? What was brutal about it was... Um, the Fast and Furious movies do team building really well. <laughs> Oddly enough. And and they do them in every single iteration, even though we know the team. They mm-hmm. kind of reintroduce us to everybody. Yep. They're like, this is the team again. And they do um, it in the crawl on the first, and, like, 60 seconds. No, <laughs> and they kind of do it on purpose, right? Yeah. Like, uh, because they want to get new people in. They don't want them to watch the first seven movies so we Jeez. know who they are. Whatever. Um, but still, they do it very deftly, and it's it's a very smart way of of doing team team building. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie like presumes we know nothing about any of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, we know exactly who Bruce Wayne is. We know who uh, Wonder Woman is. Mm-hmm. Um, we know uh, we actually really know who they all are. Um, yeah, because because of that really horrible hacking scene with wonder woman and batman versus superman which she like introduces us to all which, of them but uh, i mean go, going back to that real quick so when bruce wayne finds the file when he breaks lex uh, luther's encryption and sends it to one to diana to mm-hmm. wonder woman essentially she clicks some files mm-hmm. and it opens up and talks about these characters or shows video of these classic characters. hack right <laughs> but that also shows that lex luther apparently his branding department all of these characters, he created the branding. All of them. Oh, yeah. The logos they have on those file folders are the logos <laughs> yes. that they use. So it is like... I mean, it's super nice of him. Right. <laughs> yeah. That I was mean, just bizarre. Yeah. It, it, oh, God, this movie sucks. Um, but uh, No spoilers. We've not given our rating oh, yet. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, but what what's brutal about this, and you, you, you touched on it already, is, um, and one of the biggest problems I have with this movie is... Uh, it's an hour and 45 minutes. These first 30 to 45 minutes are all team building. Mm-hmm. These are trailer shots. And yeah. every single, you know, when you, you're just like, oh, I can't wait for them to expand on this trailer. They don't Nope. like it, that, that shot of Ben Affleck pulling his goggles off um, in Antarctica or wherever he mm-hmm. is or Iceland or something. That's shot that, for shot. That yep. is shot for shot in the movie. Mm-hmm. there's nothing different about it. There's no expansion of it. Nope. The Flash, um, when he throws the Batarang at him. It's exactly the stop, same like, one. Same thing. Yep. Uh, like, everything is the same. Um, and from what you hear about the troubled production history yeah. of this film, and, like, a three-hour cut being cut down to an hour and 45 Oof. minutes, um, and being reshot and mm-hmm. everything, I just wonder, like, 
what did the rest of the stuff look like? <laughs> Was it that incompetent? Like there, I, I just can't. And I'm not a Zack Snyder fan mm-hmm. at all, um, but I would love to know. I would love to know like what he delivered. Well, yeah. Zack, Zack Snyder's biggest problem for years, going back to Sucker Punch, he can shoot a trailer. Oh, yeah. And can he cut a trailer? He's the best. No matter what trailer he comes out with, people are like, that looks incredible. Yep. Then you watch the movie it's and the you're Michael like. Michael Bay syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Then you're like, uh, we saw all of this. So with Justice League, it picks up a few months later. Batman is building this team for this big bad that he does not know much about yet, but he finds out throughout the movie. And it was already in one of the trailers, but the big bad is Steppenwolf. Oh, which Steppenwolf. Okay, so born in, to be wild in the <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Sorry, in the comics, Steppenwolf is basically the Silver Surfer to Galactus. Those are comic book references, but that yep. basically means Steppenwolf is a herald of Darkseid. Steppenwolf goes to a planet, wrecks shop, waits for Darkseid to come over, and then just take it, right. come down and take over. None of that happens in this film. As in, like, you see Steppenwolf as this character gathering the mother boxes that we see alluded to in Batman vs. Superman. He mentions Darkseid once. And keep in mind, this originally was supposed to be a two-part movie. This was supposed to be Justice League parts one and two yep. coming out a year apart. That was going to introduce Darkseid. That was going to do all of these things. They scrapped all of that. And you can tell. So Oof. this whole time with Steppenwolf, he is essentially wanting to terraform Earth. He wants to frack Earth. Like, that's it. Like, he's just yeah. like a... He's like an oil company or like a natural gas company like his his <laughs> his evil plan is terrible like yeah it, it like obviously it threatens humanity and threatens earth but like when you see it it's just like oh you want to like put a bunch of black lines all over earth like that that's yeah. all it is i mean honestly you, you want like, to create you want to like bring a bunch of lava up and mm-hmm. you know like make everything look like lava like there there's really no point or the yeah. reason for why he's doing it, see, it it would be one thing if so <sighs> dark dark side <laughs> the, the the big please villain, continue yeah dark side <laughs> he comes from a planet called apocalypse uh that's a weird name well the planet is basically and so i get where they were going because what steppenwolf is trying to do he is trying to create apocalypse on other planets right this fiery just hellhole. But we never hear that. Never hear that. And yeah. it would be one thing if Steppenwolf comes down and is like, you know, struggling to breathe like the Kryptonians were yeah. in Man of Steel. And they were like, this is hard for us to breathe this atmosphere because something is different. Mm-hmm. Nope. They just like lava. Yeah. They just like explosions. But there's, they never even say that. Like, no. they're, they're just there. They're, they're just um, there to really terraform. the only motivation we get for Steppenwolf existing is he doesn't like the amazons i mean or the atlanteans or the the humans well no he doesn't like all three of them because of uh something we haven't mentioned yet the Mm -hmm. mother boxes which is the funniest name for a MacGuffin of all time. Although I I disagree. The mother boxes actually come from planet or the new Genesis, the new God. I don't care where Um. they come from. They're still silly to say out loud. Um, But uh, the... The motivation doesn't go beyond just not liking them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says sister a lot, I think, to 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 the Amazons. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. But um, he, 
he seems to imply that they were the like impetus behind splitting the mother boxes <laughs> it's so stupid which, which they kind of were so <laughs> i mean the the general thing is that yes he wants to collect these three mother boxes once once combined mm-hmm. they would then terraform earth into what he wants it to be which would then be the place for dark side to come right and take over but again it does not do a good enough job of establishing what that actually means. At one point, and as a comic book geek, and again, we're surrounded by thousands of comic books, there are some cool mentions in this. At one point, he was like, I want to take my place among the new gods. Yeah. So I'm going to recommend Jack Kirby's Fourth World Saga. That was where the new gods came from, New Genesis, Dark Side, and the new gods. Basically think of two... <laughs> completely different the new gods were everything you would think an angelic utopian society apocalypse hellhole Mm -hmm. so they hated each other they're part of these ancient races uh the the high father of new gods had a son scott free dark side has son calabac they switched sons as like a peace accord Mm -hmm. similar to what we see in like game of thrones sure so that, that led to some really cool things. Calabac grew up, or Orion and Calabac grew up with the new gods. Scott Free, Miracle Man, grew up on Dark Side. There is so much history and so many cool stories they could do, and we get two mentions of it. Like vague mentions. Vague, and again, vague mentions to the point where only somebody like me... Yeah, I would never know that. No. I would never know, I would never know any of that. Yeah. So that was just kind of weird. Is like, take your time. Walk before you run. And just let people develop these stories. But you because could do that. You, you could. Because the the weird thing about this movie is uh, it's so short and skimps on so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, but takes a weird amount of time. To do them. Um, explaining uh, like Steppenwolf's plan and like yeah. all this stuff. And giving us visual background as to why he's doing it. Um, mm-hmm. And exactly what you're saying is exactly why... It's a silly way of going about it. <laughs> There's all of this history. You could really do it well. You could do Absolutely. it in a really fun, interesting way. And you could actually use the Batmans of the modern world mm-hmm. um, and these uh, modern superheroes to fight that kind of threat. And actually, you could beat Marvel at their own game in that way by making the villains the hero, or not the heroes, but the the centerpiece of these mm-hmm. films. Yeah. Instead, we get like half-assed versions of mm-hmm. of the superheroes um, because we don't know Flash, right? We don't know Cyborg. We know Wonder Woman, um, yep, which they sort of shoehorn her into the middle of it, which feels extremely shoehorned um, post, all, all post of, yeah. the Wonder Woman film. <laughs> and we get like weird Ben Affleck Batman, who's not a bad Batman. He's just poorly executed as Batman, in in my yeah. opinion. And it just, and again, it goes back to oh, Batman, Jason Momoa as well, um, who yeah. seems to be having a lot of fun. Jason Momoa, um, even is though having... he gets zero screen time, but he see he's a blast to like. He's having a time of his life. Yeah, yeah. Jason Momoa is he's great. Is great. He kind of definitely steals the show. At one point at some Comic Con a few months ago, Jason Momoa, first of all, is a huge man. Yeah. And the, he, Real is, hunk. he is not somebody who, mm-hmm. like the Hugh Jackmans of the world, 
who gets real big for a role. No, this is just who he is. That is who he is. Like, yeah, he just, just walks around being that big all the time. Huge. So he was at a Comic-Con a few months ago, and somebody brought up the Ben Affleck fiasco of if he is going to be in more movies because he kind of sucks. I should put a link to the clip. Please do. Jason Momoa, from behind a table, like on stage, stands up, pushes the table away, and goes to the edge of the stage, and is like heckling this guy. And it was like, boy, if you are heckling Jason Momoa and he steps to you, you should just run away. Yeah. Just, just, I think so. Yeah. So Jason Momoa is having the time of his life. He loves doing this stuff. But again, there was not enough, I think for a lot of people, they might be okay with it. They might be like, all right, this sets him up enough. We're getting an Aquaman movie. For someone like me who wants more because I, I know a bunch about mm-hmm. it, it felt a little just tertiary. Like they were just kind of touching on things. And he mentioned oh, yeah. stuff to characters we in the film. We get nothing about the Atlanteans at all. Like, I mean, yeah. other than they exist. I mean, and, and even that barely. He was like. And he's like sort of in self exile. Like, we don't yeah. really know why, you know? <laughs> like, we just know that he's he's there and he can come back whenever he wants, apparently. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it is interesting. So the Atlanteans, the Amazonians, and the humans, mm-hmm. and the world of man, as they call yeah. it. The Amazonians have their mother box on constant guard. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the Atlanteans, constant guard. Humans, they just forgot about it oh, a few hundred years ago. The best part about that is uh, uh, there's a scene where Steppenwolf is threatening a bunch of humans who he mm-hmm. thinks may know where it is. And he, all he's doing is just like picking them up one by one and going, where is it? <laughs> snap. It's just, it's, where is it? snap. it's so good. It's so silly. Like, that that was one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie, uh, a movie that I really despise in many ways. But like, I I fully endorse that weird scene where they were like, how where <laughs> these are scientists? Where, no, where every where every writer was like, how do we have this giant CGI character interrogate them? We'll just have pick them up and yell at them, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> and that's literally all they do. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. So it's weird. so silly. Like. There's no like mind control. Nope. There's no there's no like fun, interesting ways to 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 interrogate him. It's literally just screaming at him from this far away from their face. It's yeah. it's, it's it's so funny. Um, it was just bizarre, and I just it's so lazy. It's just really lazy. I, and I think that that comes down to a lot of what this movie had is that it was just kind of they tried to do so much to try to introduce a bunch of characters. This Flash, Ezra Miller. He plays Barry Allen. Mm-hmm. As a kid who grew up in the 80s and 90s reading comic books, this is not Barry Allen. Yeah. This is Wally West. Wally West was like the fun-loving, because he was Kid Flash before his regular Flash when Barry Allen died in Christ on Infinite Earths. He was just kind of like the weird kid. And he wanted to do much stuff. He wanted to live up to his uncle Barry Allen's thing. This is Wally West, but they wanted to do Barry Allen for some weird reason when one of the things that is weird with this Justice League, for the past 15 years, when Justice League Animated first came out on Cartoon Network in yep. 2001, it was Wally West. It was John Stewart as Green Lantern. Like, people grew up... There's a generation that is not going to recognize some of these characters. And that's just... It seems weird that they chose to go this direction. So, having this as Barry Allen... Okay, but we have a great Barry Allen on TV on CW. Yeah. Grant Gustin is tremendous. Mm-hmm. I love those shows. 
And even though I had a lot of problems with the movie, there were a couple moments that got me in the feels. Mm-hmm. So I want to hear these because I had zero. So <laughs> There's a moment when it uses the Danny Elfman original score from Batman 1989. Mm-hmm. When Batman shows up, hit me in the feels. Mm-hmm. When you see part of what we see in the trailer with Clark in a field with Lois, another character shows up who they have not shown in the trailer, so I will not spoil it. When that character shows up, it hit me in the feels. There's a scene towards the end where somebody kind of opens a shirt. That hit me in the feels. So, like, it got me a couple times. Mm -hmm. But there were so many moments when you saw the League, all six of them, you know, coming up from a platform or standing there, that should have been the powerhouse of yeah. like, look at what we finally have. You, boy who read Wizard Magazine in 1993, reading fan casts of what a Justice League movie would be. Someday you will see it. I saw it, and it did not affect me that same yeah. way. There there are multiple moments uh, where um, Superman is confronted by the rest of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. Um, not spoilers, I mean... Good gracious, just buy a cup from 7-Eleven. There's no spoilers here. Um, Superman is in the movie. And, Shocking. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's a big, giant spoiler. And that, there was big, boisterous music behind mm-hmm. those scenes. And I agree with you. Like, uh, they weirdly looked flat the way they were framed. Yep. Um, it was very 2D all of a sudden. Um, and their costumes didn't look convincing. Like, I, mm. I don't know why that is. Like, you had five of them standing next to each other, yep. staring at Superman, and none of them looked like the, like the superheroes that we've that we've enjoyed for a couple other movies, or yep. even not enjoyed. You know that we have seen, but they looked, in a couple other. Didn't ones. they look like sort of cosplay in a way? It was very bizarre. Like yeah. they were standing in like a very natural light, like in Central Park. Well, because it was Joss Whedon. Yeah, I yes, I mean, the, I, the blatant right. reshoots of yes. this movie. I think. I think. That is true. Yeah, and we should address that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Zack Snyder had to step away from this project for some family issues. Mm-hmm. And they were like, all right, uh, Joss, come on in. There are so many reshoots in this movie, and 100% you can tell. Yes. I mean, I joked about it before. If I had a timer in my left hand and a timer in my right hand, you can I could it. I could click through the Zack Snyder. I could click the Joss Whedon every minute. Like, I, I could do that. And so there are so many things, in this, so many parts in this movie. There's a scene with Batman. There are a lot of scenes with Batman yeah. who, again, you mentioned earlier, he is a klutz. He gets knocked around by parademons. He gets like, n- knocked crazy. into walls. This movie has the most superheroes being knocked into concrete walls of all time. Like, there's n- yeah. there's never been a superhero movie where people get knocked into walls more than this. Like, it's just yeah. constant. Like, that was their go-to move in editing, which was very bizarre. So, like, this, and this is a Batman who has gone toe-to-toe with Darkseid before in the comics. In the animated series, there's a fantastic clip of him. So, Darkseid's big power is Omega Beams. So, you know Cyclops, mm-hmm. right? Now, imagine Cyclops but two individual bursts of energy from his eyes that not only are bursts, but they can track, they can go around corners, mm-hmm. and if they hit you, they vaporize you. Mm-hmm. Nobody really escapes the Omega Beams. In Justice League, in the animated series, at one point, Superman is fight or Batman is fighting him, and he outsmarts 
the Omega Beams. And Darkseid was like, no one has ever done that. And it is voiced by Jeremy Irons, so it is incredible. This Batman is going to get vaporized in two oh, seconds yeah. Yeah. if he, he comes across Darkseid. He, like, trips over himself, like, five times in this movie. It's, it's like, and it's, like, silly, you know? Yeah. Like, he gets, like, knocked over, you know? He gets, like, hit in the head. <laughs> like, it's yeah. very silly stuff like that. Um, And the best action beats, and mm-hmm. I will say this, like, for as much as I loathe this movie, and I, I loathe it for many reasons, and actually loathe it for many reasons that you were explaining to me right now, like, they're... Mm-hmm. This is stuff I did not know existed in the right. lore of, of of these comics, and and it actually makes me loathe it a little bit more because mm. they don't explain or or um, interrogate these the depth the, the depth and history of these comics at all. Um, if it wasn't for um, Momoa's just like kind of laissez faire pers- mm-hmm. personality and fun um which he's just very good at he's, he's absolutely he's he's very good at just being just fun and loose like on screen and gal gadot is just she knows yeah what this character is at this mm-hmm. point and she's so good at it mm-hmm. um and it's pretty clear that they that we knew exactly what he had with those two um and yeah. he tried so hard um to nail those two characters and shove the other three to the back um that it, it like cyborg is is <laughs> is such a waste like yeah. he's such a waste which is an incredible shame because cyborg of all of these characters people know flash they can watch cw oh sure watch flash. they can watch wonder woman they can watch superman they can watch you've batman. seen batman a million times yeah. aquaman yeah he gets made fun of all the time but you can find a bunch of aquaman stuff cyborg begs to have a backstory told to the general audience who yep. have not watched Teen Titans or Justice League. Yep. Come on. Yep. And it just like they and some of the scenes they show in the trailers, which were obviously Zack Snyder scenes that they cut, are not in the final product. Yeah. That is a shame because Cyborg is an amazing character that needs more backstory for the general audience who did not grow up reading Teen Titans and the Judas Contract and all of that. Yes. And, you know, I'll probably get raked over the coals for this i don't think the avengers movies are very good get out and i i i don't think they're very good because they are just uh they're just plot devices two and a half hour plot devices to move the individual movies forward understandable um, yeah um that's just my opinion that's 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 what i think i th- doesn't mean they're not entertaining and mm-hmm. don't have fun set pieces and everything i just don't think they're good movies um but when you watch a movie like Justice League, you appreciate what those movies have accomplished because mm-hmm. of what came before them. This yep. movie has zero context. I mean, you you go into it and you go, okay, I, I know exactly who Gal Gadot is mm-hmm. um, yep. as, as, as Diana and Wonder Woman. I vaguely know who i mean i know who batman is of course so, you know and we did see him in this broader context so we know who he is we know who henry cavill is mm-hmm. um we assume he's coming back we have right. no idea who the other three are um yeah. no clue because we saw them in a two minute clip yes, on I, diana's computer i'm talking i think it's like 15 seconds i mean for each of them yeah, like we barely saw him at all mm-hmm. and so what i uh, what I admire about the Marvel movies and what Disney did was regardless of the quality of those movies, we knew who every single one of those yep. uh, Avengers were. They took their time. Yep. <laughs> and they were lucky. 
they were lucky yeah. that Iron Man was as good as it was. True, um, absolutely. Uh, and they were lucky that they were able to make bad Kenneth Branagh Thor movies and and <laughs> and eventually get to the Thor movies that are being made now that are very good. Mm-hmm. I, they were very lucky to do that. Yeah. Um, but they did it. Um, mm-hmm. These uh, Warner Brothers really screwed the pooch. I mean, they just did not do it the right way. And the template was laid out for them. Yeah. And they invested. I hate to say they invested in the wrong guy, but they did. I mean, Snyder's Snyder's aesthetic is horrifying. It's really. It, it is ripe for trailers. It's and if you really were to do hard short to watch. Films, if you were to do 30 minute short films and shout out to a different podcast, the Feelin' Film podcast mm-hmm. by another Seattle Film Critics Society member, Aaron White. I talked about this on his show. If Zack Snyder were to do 30-minute movies, I bet they would be great. Oh, yeah. These two-hour or possibly three-hour movies. They're so ponderous. Because his attention to detail, he wants to get everything right, which is cool, and I can respect that. Tell a good story. Mm -hmm. That is what we want to see, especially with characters where internationally, if you ask most people across the planet, name some comic book heroes. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, maybe Spider-Man. Come on. Like, with that template, with those characters, how is this not a slam dunk every time? You can't screw this up. Like, you really can't. And <laughs> I like, it's really hard to know where to start. And, mm-hmm. and um, But what I'll say is I, I really think... Snyder is a world-class hack. I really wow. think I really think he's a hack. Like <laughs> I really I I don't understand what he's doing. And okay. when when I see when I watch Batman versus Superman mm-hmm. and I watch the last 45 minutes of this movie, um I don't understand what he's doing. Like yeah. what are you doing? You're like, why are you setting up this Russian family in the house? Like, what that that Russian family got so much screen time. Like, why mm-hmm. are you doing it? Like, what are you trying to say? What, like Nolan, for whatever you think of Christopher Nolan, mm-hmm. he has a perspective for sure. It doesn't mean you like you you love it. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you hate it. it mm-hmm. You, but he gives you his perspective. I have no idea what Zack Snyder is trying to do. Yeah. It, other than be other than trying to recreate moments from comics. But he and he did that in Watchmen and mm-hmm. Watchmen was so problematic because eventually you can't create comic cells anymore. Yeah. Like you those comic cells have to become they have to live, yeah. <laughs> you know, in on a 2D screen and you can't create them anymore. Um mm-hmm. and in this like at this point it's just like a mishmash of colors. I don't think this cast had a ton of chemistry. I don't think uh, they had funny lines. I don't think the funny lines that were supposedly there were funny. Mm-hmm. I thought they were kind of bad. I thought there, there were a couple that there were, was a couple that landed. Bad. There yeah. was a couple that landed in a funny way. Mm-hmm. Um, but our crowd did not laugh a lot. Mm-mm. They really didn't. Um, and and I I. Don't understand the weird, like, sort of vague praise for this movie. I do not think it's good. I think it's lazy. I think it's ugly. 
Um, and I think it does these characters who I really like uh, mm-hmm. a huge disservice. And I, I, I think critics should say it. Like, don't yeah. say this is a mild step forward for this universe. <sighs> and that, that is the hard part. Is it's not when there are qualifiers <laughs> like. Well, it is better than Batman versus Superman. Yeah, that movie's garbage. Like, what yeah. does that mean? Like, there's a million movies better than that. <laughs> yeah. So, if you have to qualify like that, there are there are already some problems. Yeah. Um, one of the other quick problems is the CGI was real, real bad. It's in terrible. some of these. Like, it it's is it is rubbery. It is Steppenwolf smooth. is awful. Steppenwolf. Some of the scenes with him look good. Yes, that's true. Yeah, some of it's like. like because again, I'm a huge fan of practical effects. Yeah, some of them look like practical effects, even though 100 percent they were not. Yeah, but I know it you looks mean. it looks Those real. Close up shots where yeah. he's fighting them close up. Exactly, it right. looks real. It looks dent. It yeah. looks heavy. There are other scenes with other characters that look like silly putty. Yeah, <laughs> they just true. they look way too smooth. They look way out of place. Which is weird because the Avengers for as bad as the villains in the Marvel universe have been, Mm -hmm. have used the silly putty effect in a really fun way where the Hulk smashes Loki, you know, or uh, (laughs) Bruce Banner uh, jumps out of the ship uh, in the Thor movie and lands on the, on the rainbow bridge and Mm -hmm. just like, just flops, just flops on there. Like they've used kind of physical humor in that Mm -hmm. way. This movie doesn't do that at all. No. Nope. Um, it's too self-serious to even try, I think. And I I yeah. know exactly what you mean. It's it's brutal. Yeah. So, times. And, th- and there were times, like I said, it did give me the feels. Yeah. There were some huge nods as a comic book geek. There is one nod to, and again, this is, this is not a theory of my own. Another podcast I listened to, The Weekly Planet, one of the, one of the people, Mason, talks about how these movies, Man of Steel... Batman vs. Superman and now Justice League take place in the Tim Burton universe. <laughs> really? There is a line in this movie that directly reflects one of the Tim Burton movies. I'm not going to say what it is because it, it is kind of a spoiler. I would love for that theory to, to take place. That would be great. It would be a way for them to kind of course correct. These and movies will all get 100% on Rotten Tomatoes if that were the case. Yeah. And so as far as course correcting... I'm still worried about where they are going. After this, I have a better idea of where they're going. Is it a better version of what you hope will come? Well, or the, the it... only movie that we know for sure is Aquaman. Aquaman <laughs> right. is filming. We are going to get it. James yep. Wan is directing it. It is happening. As of right now, Warner Brothers has not started anything else. They have announced characters like The Rock is going to be Black Adam. In Captain Marvel, or Shazam, rather. That is a whole different story of Fawcett Comics and DC Comics. But they announced that to get people interested. They have not shot a frame. So, Flash. They're announcing Flashpoint. Yep. Have not shot a frame. A vaguely... They vaguely announced Cyborg as well as a a standalone film. But, like, they haven't attached anyone except for... Is it Ray Fisher? Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, so Aquaman Um, is happening. The future of DC films after this, no idea. It sounds like the future of DC films is Aquaman and Wonder Woman, which it would hurt. And Batman. It, yeah, it would. It would. Yeah. Well, who, who knows about Batman? Matt well, Reeves. Well, no, Matt Reeves is going to make that movie. He's going to make it without, with or without Ben Affleck. Yeah, you'd yeah. think. And, right? the, and the new rumor is Jake Gyllenhaal. Terrible idea. Jake Gyllenhaal would be a great Nightwing, a great Dick Grayson, He'd be a good Scarecrow. 
Uh, no. no. Sure Kill- he would. Yeah, Killian he's... Murphy was a great scare. No, I know. I'm just you saying. Know. He's kind of, kind of that jittery No, he, he can do Nightwing, uh, Dick Grayson, mm-hmm. to a T. Not Batman. But anyway. Okay. So, <laughs> for Justice League, directed, co-directed, Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon. And Joss Whedon to get a writing credit, which means he not only took the pieces that were sure. left, he created a lot. For him to get a writing credit means... They were like, all right, what do you need to do? So, Justice League, Ian as the guest, good, bad, or ugly, what do you think of this? I will say, uh, for as incoherent of a movie as Justice League was, this was a perfectly incoherent review. Like, we couldn't even, like, stay on track, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say ugly. Wow. I, I hate, I hated it. Wow. Um, <laughs> I I hate the um, the way they went about presenting these characters um i think these characters deserve a better film um i think this was a lazy movie i think it was a rushed movie i think people are excusing a lot of these things because they wanted to see it um Mm uh and i don't think it pushes this like larger dc universe forward in any positive way in fact i think it i think it sucks it back into a like a void that i can't possibly comprehend <laughs> moving forward with like i really think this is garbage i i wow. i really i really hate this movie i really I can hate tell. it yeah like it it really makes me mad that people um who i like deeply respect and and and, and love reading mm-hmm. are excusing it i really don't think with this... that caveat of better than x yeah it's not yeah i i really don't think it is and it doesn't deserve to be talked about that way and it okay. doesn't excuse how hard people worked on it. Mm. it 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 really doesn't there's a lot of great actors and great filmmakers that worked on this movie and they will continue to work and they yep. will make better movies than this wonder okay. woman is a perfect example of that great film this is a bad movie this is a really bad movie technically <laughs> ugly movie not to get confused oh, but ugly. you know sorry it's a very ugly movie <laughs> okay uh, so for me, and again, I, I am real close to this. I have so many Justice League comics. Uh, I brought out one in particular that actually is a world's finest comic, uh, that pertains to one of the post-credit scenes. There are two. I will say that right here. There are two post-credit scenes, a mid-credits and a post-post-credit scene. So make sure to stay in the theater for that. My official review, and and this this hurts, I will not give it an ugly because I feel like I will watch this again. And upon watching it again, without as much critical eye on it, it might make me feel a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It might hit me in those spaces where I wanted this to hit me that first time. I was just so nervous going into this one. Yeah. So to me, it is bad. It, it is not... Ugly because I will see it again. It is not good because there are so many problems, but it definitely is bad. There are a lot of problems that I cannot and will not excuse and give that caveat of it was better than this, so it must be good. Mm -hmm. No. Look at it independently. You mentioned the Thor movies. They set the stage, but that does not mean that they were great movies. No, those first two Thor movies aren't good. They they were they're, they're a little they're, bit rough. They're not yeah. good. <laughs> that third one found the groove. Exactly. And but they're it, lucky and enough took... to have three. Exactly. And <laughs> yeah, Taika exactly. Waititi took what was happening exactly. with Tanabrano and was like, let me do this thing. So 
I'm worried about the future of DC Comics. I'm worried about the future of these Warner Brothers films. But as of right now, as of recording, Justice League gets bad. So I could easily talk about it, it for for much, much longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, all right. So that about wraps up our reviews for this episode. It's a marathon. I love it. Yeah. Quick recap. So Roman J. Israel, I gave uh, a good because it was... <laughs> it was it was it was passable. It was soft. It was good performances, yeah. but it just never reached that elevated thing of like you gave okay. it a good with a question mark at the end. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Both Ian and I gave an absolute yeah. good, unquestionable. That is going to pick up a lot of awards. I hope people see it for sure. Uh, Disaster artist again. I gave an absolute good. Go see that Cannot film. Wait. Cannot wait. Uh, and the Justice League. Ian gave it an ugly. I gave it a bad. Burn um, it. Burn it. <laughs> we, we will see. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, I mean, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> he really is not. <laughs> uh, he has been having some truth serum while I, recording this I, podcast. I, I, mean, I have the lasso wrapped around me right now. Yeah. And there were some great moments with that. Like There, there... was. The best moment of the movie is, involves the lasso. Actually. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so... And that was one that spoke to me directly because I was like, I know exactly how uh, that feels to not the fit lasso in. lasso of truth. Yeah. I need a little more tequila and I'll have a lasso, <laughs> metaphorical lasso of truth around me currently. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. So those were the movies. Uh, so Ian, what are you up to next? What are some projects that you have going on in your wheelhouse? Uh, I'm, I, I mean, honestly, right now we're going to be writing a lot and mm-hmm. talking about a lot of films uh through the end of the year mm-hmm. um the uh the seattle film critics society uh will be releasing their uh award winners uh mm-hmm. in early december and uh i have to watch like 75 movies before then so yes, um, you do because you are a board member yes exactly <laughs> uh as a board member i have to watch them all um and i have just screeners piling up but i'm you know not certainly not a burden um i'm really mm-hmm. excited to watch them uh you can follow me at Ian uh, I A N D I N S on uh, on Twitter, um, Ian Dins, and uh, we are going to be oh boy, uh, <laughs> plugging as many movies as we possibly can, and mm-hmm. uh, and talking about them, and uh, the discourse should be fun, especially after this Justice League review. So yeah, um, so I, uh, I I I guess we'll see, but this has been a lot of fun today. Excellent. So on Twitter at Ian Dins and of course drunksunshine.com uh, for future episodes of About to Review. So the next screening that we have, like official screening, we have a ton of screeners that were sent to us and links, which is amazing. Thank you to the studios. Yes. The only screening that Ian and I will be going to next is Coco, mm-hmm. which I'm really excited about. I'm very excited for that. They have, man, they gave us like five choices yeah. for screenings. So and we're catching, I think, time, the last one. Yeah, I think we are. So that will be, uh, I will cover that briefly on the next episode. The other exciting things that are happening with the About to Review podcast. So there are going to be two episodes of About to Interview coming up, which are the Friday episodes that land on YouTube as well as the general podcast feed. One of them is going to be with Robin Paris, who is a friend who also played Michelle in The Room. So she she knows what that production was oh, like. I'm so excited. Uh, and so not only was she in The Room, she has a new web series called The Room Actors, Where Are They Now? <laughs> which is a mockumentary 
Uh, her and I talked about this when I was covering the Van Web Fest up in Vancouver, British Columbia earlier in the year. Super excited to have her on and just talk about the room and her experiences, plus making the web series and getting back together with this cast that she worked with 14 years ago. So that is coming up. That will be coming out on December 1st. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, with Robin Paris. I'm also doing an episode, an interview, about to interview episode with Vashti Harrison, whose new book, Little Leaders, Bold Women in Black History, is coming out December 5th. Super excited to talk to her. Her artwork actually was the same one that Hair Love was doing with Matthew Cherry, who I interviewed a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. So those are two about to interview episodes that are coming up that will be on the podcast, as well as have a YouTube video with some pictures and stuff. And the exciting thing, also, this is actually earlier than those those episodes, uh, History Channel slash A&E have, have talked to me and we have been, I've been approached and we have worked some stuff out. I'm going to be doing an episode covering their new show, which actually I cannot reveal the name of quite yet now that I remember, now that I'm on an NDA at the moment. <laughs> Uh, But they sent me some episodes of a new show that is coming out in December on History Channel that I will be covering and doing an episode just about that show. So that will be dropping on Monday, December 27th. That will also be on the podcast feed as well as a YouTube component. So look forward to that. All three of those things I am super excited to do. Robin is is a good friend and she has so many stories of Tommy Wiseau, who, who Wiseau, who we talked about before. Vashti Harrison, her artwork is incredible. Look forward to talking to her. And then, of course, this History Channel uh, podcast slash video that I will be doing that is a big secret until I can actually release it once they clear it. So <laughs> One day, you'll know. One day, Well, that day will hopefully be Monday. I mean, you know. Monday, one day, November 27th. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. As for the podcast, you can follow it on all forms of social media at about to review Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Go to the website abouttreview.com, abouttreview.threadless.com to buy a t-shirt or sweater or mug or iPhone case. Uh, and you can also support the show by going to abouttreview.com. Click the support tab. Thank you, Ian, for coming Thank into you. the studio. This uh, was so fun. We have had quite a bit of truth serum. Uh, oh, and yeah, this is a safe space. So I'm glad that it you is. felt comfortable. Can going to anger um, so many. talking about your hatred for justice league yeah i hate it uh if you want to (laughs) borrow some comics from the about to review library and read some quality justice league material Mm -hmm. we can make that happen uh i'm going to i'm gonna steal all of your justice league stuff (laughs) uh awesome so and then again like we mentioned before but you can follow ian on twitter at ian dins and drunk sunshine.com Reach out to him. Uh, he is very connected. So if you have opinions about the things that we talked about, definitely reach out. It would be great to connect with you guys. Uh, so for this episode of About to Review, I have been joined by Ian Densmore. And I have been your host, that guy named John. We will see you next time. Woo. This has been an About to Review production. Thank you to Vexing Media, who provides audio editing services. They are a graphic design, website design, and digital media company. You can find them at their website, vexingmedia.com, or on Facebook and Twitter, at Vexing Media. 